You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything as always i am your host nathan and we are back for part three of role models because i've named it now we know what this segment is called so, <laughs> so for those of you keeping score at home we can't do it these recordings like any sooner than four months apart from each other but we're finally back together you won't hear them that far apart you know, last time I think I suggested we'd play them week to week, but I decided we'll do one a month instead until they're all done. And that helped me also get things out. So, so yeah, like <laughs> you won't have the gap we've had, but we're back to talk about RPGs and we're going to wrap up the topics that I thought we'd get through in one episode, <laughs> the first one. You, you sweet, sweet summer child, <laughs> yeah. you, you thinking that we were going to get through it in one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe heart. having Bless three very talkative panelists on one, you know, uh, uh, episode is not the best for brevity. But um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so uh, you know, back again. We got the same three people, but I'm going to introduce them again. We'll see how they're doing. So first up, he is my uh, DM, GM, storyteller. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what the term is. I, I was trying to think of what's the Jedi term. Like, are they, I don't know. I'm the Padawan. I'm, anyway, I'm his Padawan. I couldn't think of the reverse there. I, I wouldn't call you my master. That would be weird. But, that would uh, be weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm his Padawan. And that is Sean. How are you doing, Sean? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, um, I'm a little walking wounded right now. As uh, we were discussing in the pre-show, I have to go get a relatively uh, uh, routine procedure tomorrow for men of age 45. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you all know the fear. But, um, yeah, but yeah. So other than that, I'm 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 here and I'm ready to talk about it. And uh, how about I am just like a a journeyman in storytelling with you, sir? How about that? You okay, know, because. You know, master just sounds so bad. We honestly, there needs to be a better term than right. Than, no, I know because right, right. it's like yeah. Because I was like, what does a Padawan call the Jedi they're learning from? Like they they don't do they call them master? They call yeah, them they master. Do. Yeah, okay, they do. Yeah, oh, you know, that's messed up. Yeah, master has kind of ooky connotations. So we'll, because we'll it's different when it's up. like you're referring to them as a Jedi master because that just means they mastered the skill set, right? Like right. you know, like you're a careful Jedi now. master. Careful. But if you're a if you're a person calling someone else a master, that's a little mm, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it yeah. it depends on like what, what the context is because obviously sure. in the United States, master has a completely different connotation because of our huge terrible history with slavery but if you look in many like eastern traditions or in education often like there's a mm -hmm. different it's like a, a term of respect for somebody who has like you said mastered a craft mm -hmm. so unfortunately right. it's something that while it has have you know a good good things about it like it also has just been tainted with bad stuff as well so it just has to be used cautiously yeah context is key that's true 
Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Sean. Glad to be here. All right. So next up, you heard her voice already. She is our resident Wonder Woman. She is also a, uh, a, a gamer and has her own business. And that is my friend, Kimmy. How are you doing, Kimmy? Good. Sorry to like cut in with the, um, actually like right as at the, at the, the, the kickoff there. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing well, uh, actually some really exciting news. Um, so I've been participating in managing the happy jacks RPG podcast network for many years now. Um, but our esteemed leader Stu, after 13 years of making this podcast has decided to retire from it. Um, so I am now officially the complete benevolent ruler of the happy jacks network which is very exciting so that's been a a big announcement this week so that's very fun awesome awesome do you have the iron glove uh, the, the iron uh, um fist and the velvet glove uh yeah mostly just lots of spreadsheets like okay. that's how i roll is spreadsheets <laughs> the velvet spreadsheets the velvet exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, dibs already- on that for the band name <laughs> microsoft office after dark the velvet spreadsheet <laughs> that, that'll be that'll be kimmy's next band right yeah, the the next one. right right now i've got the mary sues but like the next one <laughs> oh they're all very oh, very cool kimmy i'm glad to hear that and uh yeah always always glad to promote people in the podcast world who are not competitors absolutely that's why i thought it was a good idea to like bring it up we don't, right, we don't cover yeah. all the geeky dumb and everything we only cover games <laughs> That was a joke I had in the last episode I recorded where it's talking about, oh, I, I'm happy for any podcast to promote any podcast that isn't in direct competition with me. Anyway. All right. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show, Kimmy. Fantastic and very glad to be here. All right. And finally, finally, uh, he is our resident mogul who sits atop his uh, business empire and is actually broadcasting to us now from his very own home studio. And that is my buddy, Mark. How are you doing, Mark? I am not unwell. And one day they'll all be sorry that they kicked me out of the university. (laughs) (sighs) My domain groweth exponentially. And you know, you you don't want a podcast uh, competitor. Get ready to be happy, brother. Get ready to be happy because... The thing I'm working on will in no way compete with you because I'm making it all up as I go. So there will be no hot geeky news uh, reviews or nothing like that. It's just going to be me talking to myself in this nine by seven uh, enclosure. So all that's being worked on as we speak. Um, Oh yeah. And so, but, and by the time this drops, uh, the uh, North Texas Apocalypse Bunker.com will be live, and you mm. can go there and uh, read some uh, blog stuff. Uh, for those of you who like to time travel back to, you know, uh, 1999. Uh, so there'll be a blog there. My Patreon will be active, and so will the Substack subscription for the, the podcast, which is called the North Texas Apocalypse Watch and Family Fun Hour, a 30 minute program. So, uh, that's all, uh, that's all proceeding apace. Oh, I didn't tell you. Oh my God. The other reason why I'm so scattered, you have no idea what's about to happen. No. I'm going to Greece. Oh <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. Actually you did tell me when we were trying to schedule this, but yes, this, right. we have not announced it on the show. Yeah. Let me, let me, and let me just say for the, I'm going to save some of you some time, not the musical, not the musical <laughs> the country. Yeah. 
no, that's awesome. I mean, that's a really cool destination. Have you been there before? Oh, no, good Lord, no. Yeah, no. Uh, as exotic as it got for me was Montreal, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've, I've traveled extensively on this continent, never crossed an ocean to go do anything. So I am, I am thrilled. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to see the Medusa. Uh, I am especially excited to see the Minotaur. Uh, I don't know if they're going to let us actually into the maze, but uh, this it, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, oh, oh, I, I'm uh, a little it, worried <laughs> yeah, about your Greece experience won't be up to par as it is in your imagination. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't get this. Uh, well, you know, you started off with the, uh, you know, I'm not unwell. And the first thing that came to my brain was uh, the flagpole sitter by Harvey Danger. Um, yeah right and, and 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 you're not really helping the argument that uh uh you're not sick but you're not well so i don't know uh, <laughs> which by the way if anybody's never heard that song you should and then go watch disturbing behavior a movie that got butchered way too much in the editing room but still is worth your time and is basically a theme song of that flick i am specifically not uh we're, we're going to see some old temples the big one i'm excited about is the temple of poseidon uh which factors heavily in my current D campaign so I will be taking pictures and sending them to all of my players uh, that have chosen uh, Poseidon as their uh, as their god to follow in, in, in clerical means. So uh, they're already uh, they're they're just queuing up the the insults and the profanity for for when I send them pictures of, of me going, you know, like that. So it's gonna be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Really glad for you to have your podcast. I, I love the fact that it's it says that it's an hour in the title, but then will only be 30 minutes. You leave them wanting more. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, Greece sounds like a lot of fun. Like like you, oh. I've pretty much only been on this continent, except for the business trip to India that I had years ago. I have never been outside of this continent. And uh, India's interesting, but I... a pretty hell of a exception to make, you know? Well, no, I, going I, to I, the I know, other side I... of the world, I've never left America. <laughs> I know, but I was in Mumbai, which is like any other large city anywhere. It's like not... I did, I did one day get to go, uh, you know, out a little bit and see a little bit of the Indian countryside, but it was, I was pretty much in a city the whole time. So it's not really as special as it sounds. Well, I will be sure to take pictures of the Minotaur. Uh, when, oh, I definitely uh, want to see pictures of the Minotaur. You got it. Absolutely. Yeah. Sky's the limit. If uh, Pegasus is still um, uh, uh, on display, I'll show you Pegasus too. I'm not, I'll, I'll, get, gonna be I'll get all of that. I'll get if all you can fit Pegasus in your suitcase, my wife wants it. It's just FYI. Well, I think I might have a shot with Bubo. I don't know about Pegasus, but I'm pretty sure I could get Bubo into the carry-on. So I was watching yeah, Avengers I, I think he's just gonna send Valkyrie. us. I think he's just yeah. gonna send us like set picks from Shazam too. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I was watching Avengers Flash Endgame today, and uh, Valkyrie came flying in on Pegasus, and Lauren's like, "I want it," and I'm like, "I know you do." So. <laughs> All right, well, Mark, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm uh, so happy to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. All right. And so normally we'd have our five minute controversy, but because we already talk enough, we're, we decided that because we want to wrap things up with this one, we are not going to do a five minute controversy. So instead, we're just going to leave you wanting more just for a minute as we pause for a promo from another fine podcast. This Labor Day weekend, fandom is calling. 
Let Michael, Mike, Darren, and Jen help you answer the call with the latest news, notes, tips, and tricks on the DragonCon Report. Available as an audio podcast, visit DragonConReport.com and for the first time ever, watch us on video via Facebook Live and YouTube. We want to help you celebrate your fandom in all the best ways. So listen up and we'll see you at the con. And the over-under on us actually finishing in three is currently six to one. And uh, we're taking heavy action on either side. So uh, get those bets in early. Uh, we may make it to we may make it to the end. We may not. Good luck. Yeah, we're 15 minutes into an hour and a half podcast. And uh, the first question hasn't been asked yet. And, that's uh, that's we, true. That's true. And, okay. and we've looked at the Velvet spreadsheet and there's a lot. So that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's right. more so first... dirty sounding every time you say it. it I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make it sound dirty. It's just a good name. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating facts. Okay. So there's something I wanted to ask you guys about since you all have a good amount of experience. And it's one of those things that sometimes when I talk to other, and again, my whole experience is, is through the prism of Sean was the very first person I played under. And Sean allows a lot of things that I've come to find out a lot of people don't allow. And to me, it seems very heavy handed for a GM to tell people like, you just can't do this. And so what I wanted to ask about is character conflict. Because one of the things that I've noticed, like talking to a friend of mine, she was like, oh yeah, like we just, we just don't allow that. Like, we don't allow characters to have like, you know, fights or anything because it's like, you know, then that just creates problems. And I'm like, but, but like, if you're really trying to embody a character, can you, have you never hit a situation that your character would be in conflict with another character and to like sort of heavily handedly say like, that's just not allowed within the game just seems kind of, I don't know. It seems problematic to me, but I'm curious about everybody else's take on the idea of character conflict, because again, obviously group dynamics vary depending on your group also and i get that as well so um so let's start with you on this one mark you know on the subject of character conflict is that something that's come up with groups that you've you know been in before and how do you handle that as a gm if it comes up you know to be you know i i think we've mentioned before uh you know how uh, uncomfortable i became with playing with people i didn't know for yeah. for the for the very you know for for all the chaotic neutral reasons that someone you know you just never know what it's it's like it's like a house cat uh for a roommate you just never know what you're going to get so um i uh you know i had some rules that you can't be evil you know for a while um i've in my in my dotage uh and with fifth edition coming out uh I figured there wasn't anything I couldn't handle, you know, in my late forties that, that, that was too uh, out of bounds. And so, um, and, and just speaking stroke strictly in terms of uh, current edition Dungeons and Dragons, uh, it's got stuff baked in to it already. You know, the, the backgrounds system that they have in place there has uh, it's basically a sheet of, of hooks, right? Uh, a couple of things to help the player get a handle on the character, but really there's two or three things for the GM to sink their hooks into the character on the other side. 
so mm. that you can have that tension. And it's not uncommon for players with different backgrounds to have, you know, uh, things that are at cross purposes, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I ran the, the longest group that I have had for a while, um, or some, some of my employees that I taught the game. And then this was their second campaign and it was a lot longer. Uh, they, they would at certain points in the game hit a, hit a point where all of their aims and goals were not in accordance. Mm. And there was always heavy discussion about, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to let you do that because if you do that, it's going to mess everything up. Well, how are you going to stop me? And, and, you know, they never really fought, uh, with combat roles, but there, there was a lot of heated discussion and those have always, you know, every time we, we finish a thing, uh, like that, they, they, they'd come to me later and go, man, that was so cool. When, when, when I, when I cut my eye out and I made the saving throw to not pass out and then he healed me so that I couldn't have the wisdom. I was like, Whoa, that was, you know, and they love that stuff, you know, and, and, uh, it, it need not be a, a factor in your, in your games, but if you're going to do um, a, a more layered and nuanced kind of storytelling, you know, if you're trying to simulate fiction, if you're looking at, you know, long form television shows as sort of the inspiration, you know, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that, that Game of Thrones has become an adjective. Yeah, we're, we're, we're about to Game of Thrones this you know, which usually means arrows will fly and pregnant women will die or something. This is, you know, the, the, the verbiage is, is loose, but you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the conflict, uh, the interpersonal character conflict provided that everybody knows, you know, Hey, this is, this is character stuff. We're just going to play this out, you know, um, and, 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 and let everybody sort of keep their own counsel. I've always been a big fan of that anyways, but I found that these, you know, these kids in their 20s who grew up on video games like Grand Theft Auto and Skyrim get get into the weeds with some of this stuff. And so if you, I think if you give people the, the, the slack and, and the latitude and, and, and sort of help facilitate that, you get some amazing results out of it. Kimmy? I specifically play games that are all about about the feels. Uh, I find games, and especially in the indie scene, there are a million where it's literally all about character conflict and relationships and romance and breaking up again after your romance. Um, I I have some of that when I play like D and D, but unfortunately, D and D is not built for that. Like it doesn't really have mechanics to kind of kind of work through that with players it's like okay you get to like you could maybe roll you know to convince somebody of something but that's sort of dicey <laughs> get mm -hmm. it dicey um because you're then rolling against like a, a player so then okay but my dice says you're convinced by my argument i hate doing that with players as a gm like that's that's a, yeah that's a, diplomacy and bluff are things that i don't allow yeah. against players that's against npcs yeah right so then you have two players sitting there acting it out with no mechanics until they start a combat possibly mm. so it's just like it's just 
this weird nebulous thing that's with some groups is awesome and with other groups is not. And then sometimes you get a group where some people are good at it and some people aren't. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm the bard, but I'm not really super eloquent. So the other person who's the barbarian is winning this argument because they're just like better in like as a player at talking because they're a lawyer or something. So I tend to try and keep it like some tension and interesting things and backstory conflicts a little bit, but like open conflict in D&D. I've never said you can't do it, but it's just, it's not built for it. It's like trying to take your, you know, your Volkswagen Beetle on a raceway. Like it's just, it's not a thing it's made to do. So like, if you want things like that in your game, like look for games like Monster Hearts, which is like the most emotionally messy game you will ever play. And it's not for the people who don't want that. Like don't, don't go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and ask and, you know, order the salad. Like, like go to a game that has what you want. I love, I love those heavy feels games. I design games with mechanics about conflict and resolving conflict and how conflict affects your character long-term and the trust between characters. Um, so, so yeah, l- like look for the things that are good at it. <laughs> look for the systems that are made for that if that's something you're interested in. And if, and if you're playing something like D&D that's not really made for that, make sure you have tools in place to handle that. Make sure you're playing the safety tools. Make sure there's very, at bare minimum, at least an X card on the table. So if someone starts feeling uncomfortable about the scene that's being played out or is starting to feel angry for real, they can tap that and the scene can end and you can move on. Have lines and veils where people are like, hey, I'm okay with this sort of like fade to black moments. Uh, I'm not okay with this being in here at all and making sure everybody knows what those are because it's just so easy at for those things to start bleeding into your actual emotions as a player you know especially like you were saying mark if it's people who haven't been playing for a long time or don't or who don't know very each other very well it's hard to sometimes differentiate between like well are are they really in character are they really mad at me so i don't know it's it's a dicey thing i i don't think you should ban it but you should absolutely make sure that there are like parameters and borders in place so that everyone feels safe engaging in it okay and sean you know we haven't played together in a while so i don't know if your thoughts on this have become different for over the years but and 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 i do want to just just put in a slight disclaimer here i want to hold the discussion of the beach trip uh until later um so uh don't bring that one up as the example but uh anything else yeah it is fair game so um yeah so what are your thoughts on on character conflict yes next question <laughs> okay that's that's no no no, no. But, but no seriously um <laughs> wouldn't that have just been like the biggest mind screw for the whole audience they're like <laughs> did sean just literally give a one-word answer and said next question <laughs> like, he must be tired of... is he having a stroke <laughs> uh, seriously um well, obviously, without talking about the infamous beach trip, uh, there there is a lot of story there that we'll get into later. Um, but it is not the only time that character conflict has ever shown its head in my games. Um, my philosophy has always been let the players do what the players want to do with the caveat that they don't violate the covenants of the group. 
and the covenants of the group. And this is me coming from a time when, you know, Kimmy's using a lot of really great words that I know what she's referring to. But if she asked me, oh, yeah, what's that thing that you did with that? I'm like, I don't know, but it sounds like excellent. Those those are excellent things that you should have in your your, your group uh, to make sure everybody feels comfortable. Um, we didn't have those terms, you know, uh, uh, back in the day. So there are a lot of moments where, you know, we stumbled and we 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 kind of had to come to an agreement as a group to say, look, this is a game. This is not personal. This is absolutely meant to be fun. And if you're not having fun, say so. And we can pull out a game and we can stop things and we can make sure that everybody's happy. And the covenant of the group essentially is everybody's supposed to be having fun. If you're not having fun, we need to stop and address why that fun is not being had. But And a big core of that is also to understand that the DM is meant to have fun too, or the storyteller is meant to have fun. So depending on the game, depending on the premise, there are some things that I will and will not allow. D&D is always kind of like the epicenter for a lot of these arguments because we talk about the fact that there's not a really great mechanism for character conflict because it's basically a battle simulator with some, you know, mild role-playing, R-O-L-E, uh, uh, kind of sprinkled around the sides. And that's fine. Um, but there's a really good example of the game that I played that's technically still ongoing with my group of friends that started out being called the Empyrean Age. And I basically told them, look, you can play whatever you want to. You can be whatever alignment except for evil because evil characters always come in and they basically want to poop on the party. They want to they want to cause conflict just to cause conflict. But I didn't tell them that they had to get along with each other. So for the first year of us playing, it was me coming up with really inventive situations to get these characters to trust each other enough to where they would then go on this journey to basically save the whole damn planet. That was extremely stressful. Whereas if I had just said, hey, guys, you kind of already agreed that you're at least friendly enough with one another where you're not going to actively keep trying to kill each other. And uh, the problem was, is that I did not do that in the first year. And, and that was a very difficult thing for me to do because I'm constantly trying to get these players who are like, well, I'm just playing my character. And it's like, yeah, but you're also kind of not making this fun because you're going on these side tangents. And yes, your character probably would stab this guy in the back. But can we just assume that you guys had a really good, you know, night of drinking and you found a way to bro up somehow or whatever? And, and, and there are ways of getting around that. Now, with that said, that group was able to build up a really good core group because I was able to come up with inventive ways for them to bond. Then later on, I then introduced little, I, I, I went Jerry Springer. And again, the beach trip is a good example of this. We'll talk about it later. Where basically I'm like, here's a knife, do something with the knife. And if they decide to stab one of their friends in the back after they've been playing the same story for three years, okay, they've earned that moment. But in the first three sessions, if you're just being a complete jerk to the other players and you're not making it fun, that's not cool. You want to be there to either do a conflict game like Kimmy was saying, or you want to be a team. And you need to decide that before you start to play. I think that's really the key. So if everybody wants to have conflict, have at it. If not, earn the conflict later on. But I, I think that would be kind of where I'd fall on it. But uh, if you want more specific examples, oh, I got them. <laughs> I just want to very quickly, because the two of you... Uh... I, and and I I'm not uh, I'm not defending Dungeons and Dragons. It it has a lot to answer for, uh, but I will say that there's more mechanisms in place now in D and D than there ever were before. About mm -hmm. so, so that you since you have interesting characters that that do different things and and uh, and can you know uh, in, from for, for uh, conflict purposes bang into one another in the in the setting you know but and and then there's also you know again it's not in any of the books but uh there's nothing like run on a funnel 
to bring everybody together, you know, under the one, you know, inciting uh, incident of, well, we all survived. That was crazy, wasn't it? You know, and so I think going into the game with those sorts of things set up and in place, even care, even people who are new will sort of understand and get uh, that, that, you know, it's not, um, it's not always, it's not always uh, necessary to, to pick a fight, but if I put something into the game and introduce something into the game that I know one character really wants or needs to sort of further their, you know, agenda with regards to their personality traits and all that. And I know that another person's going to really hate that because of the faction that they just joined. That's a secret society that doesn't want any of these things to take place over here. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm deliberately giving them, you know, plot coupons with the intention that this is going to eventually come together and they're going to have to decide, you know, how this resolves itself. And again, my bloodthirsty guys, none of them, none of them drew swords. There was always a conversation and I, I gave them some pointers and I, I kind of told them how this was going to go, but I never said you couldn't murder each other you know mm-hmm. so i i think that um i think that i think that as gaming in general and i'll even include computer games here has gotten more sophisticated over time uh, even even young players are used to making moral choices and things like red dead redemption uh or um uh you know mass effect or something like that so it's not uh this isn't a concept that you have to um it, it's not at it doesn't have to be absent in D. Uh, there are certainly people that like to play it that way, but uh, I'm all for anything that's you know enriching uh, both for me as a as a someone who's trying to sort of facilitate this group story and also for them because I know um, I, I wanted them to have to play with con with this kind of conflict resolution and consequences of actions and things like that and uh, uh, and and now they play that in their games. They, that's that all that is is factored into their things as well. So, yeah. And uh, I mean, so. conflict doesn't always mean I'm going to intentionally go after you. Sometimes conflict is a perfect example. Is that D and D in the Imperian Age, that first year that they were playing together, I had a paladin who was basically trying to avenge his family, and he was dead set. I have to avenge my family. So every time the plot took them away from avenging the family he would basically threaten to just leave the group. And I'm like, I kept having to kind of tell him, I'm like, dude, I know it doesn't look like it right now. I promise you this is going somewhere. And I would have to try to figure out ways of reminding the paladin, hey, these people are on your side and they want to help you. But sometimes you got to go over and visit the hobbits or whatever the heck, you know? And yeah, and, and it, he, he would get very singular minded. And the conflict sometimes can happen between a player and the storyteller because mm-hmm. the player is so tunnel vision that they can't allow anything else to influence their character and that's when you kind of have to go remember have fun as a group try to remember that this is a group setting and and you know i let players separate out my friend christina is infamous for saying i'm going to go over here and do this thing away from the rest of the group and the group learned really quickly every time you separate out in D and you're the only character especially in fourth edition you die 
So she would go off and she would start like perusing around and then she would just get wiped out because she would always find the thing. I, I tend to play my games like a giant open world where the level 100 monsters are really only one block away from the level one monsters. And if you're not careful, you could find that level 100 monster if you're not if you're not being very, very careful. And Christina has the uncanny knack for going, let me open up this door. Oh, God, Cthulhu's on the other side. Boom, dead. And um, it's it's actually a running gag. How many times can Christina die in one storyline? And I think we got up to Laura. How many times? It was like seven. I don't. It, it was a lot. It, she got up to seven or eight characters at one point. And like, she, I think she actually started getting like kind of like a high off of it. Okay, how long can I last before this character dies? <laughs> so that's always a fun thing. But so so yeah. here's my here's my two cents on the whole thing. So just like one of the things that really bothers me is when I hear people when they're making their characters go like, crap, we don't have a healer. So I guess I have to be a healer and drives me nuts because that's like the, like the old school D&D thinking is you need to have like a balanced party and there's got to be the one healer and the one arcane user and like the one like skill hound and like the one fighter. And I'm just like, no, that's on me as the GM to create a story that fits the party. If you guys all want to be like barbarians, fighters, paladins, just be like a really heavy, you know, like like warrior type with very little magic party, we can do that. We it becomes more of like a war game where you guys are fighting like a lot of like soldiers and things like that, and you know the monsters aren't heavy magic. But then that's the thing. I craft the story around what the group is capable of doing you know and so it's like and again i think that's probably comes from a lot of dms like playing like based on modules and stuff where it's like well this is the canned scenario so you know if you guys don't have the things you need to defeat that scenario oh well tough luck you know and i'm like no and so to me like i, I know that, that you, some of you guys are talking about mechanics and things like to me like conflict is something that should not have any mechanics because we're role playing this should be a thing right. that everybody like is like embodying what their character would do and now i'm gonna take a step back here that has to mean though that everybody's playing in good faith right because i get mm -hmm. that there are people who are agitators for the sake of being agitators and if you have those people, you, that's, those are people you need to learn about. But then that's also on me, though, that if I see that it's derailing things or making things not fun for people, that's for me to change the scenario and try to make it seem like this is the way it was planned all along to like just kind of break it up or cause something to distract them or do whatever. And to me, like that's, that's part of the fun. I love watching people role play conflict. Like I love, like, like to me, that's like one of the best highs I get in the game is just watching the players get so immersed in the world that they are, you know, having an argument that would be an argument that their characters would have, like totally not thinking about like the meta sense of, well, we all have to play nice because we're all friends in real life. And it's like, don't, don't, don't think about it that way. Think about what your character would do. And so to me, that's what's fun for me uh as a gm so how would you and sorry so then how in that situation like i agree like we definitely still need to like role play it out that's all the fun that's why we play role playing games mm -hmm. but how do you deal with that then if you've got two people and like one's just much better at it even if their character wouldn't be like if there's no mechanics involved why aren't like we you're talking about actual improv combat theater combat? No, no, I'm talking about like, like in a debate like that, like if their characters are sitting there debating something, one of the players is super good at debate, like, or something and the other players not, but like has a good points. Like, like, I, I feel like there have to be some sort of mechanics involved in order to keep it to, just to adjudicate it and kind of make it fair. And also like, 
Um, and, and to kind of have the long-term consequences. One of the cool things in a lot of PBTA games that I love is if you have a conflict, um, you can get like influence over, over each other, which has like mechanical advantages and things like that. So even if mm. the mechanics don't necessarily adjudicate the conflict there, they make sure that the ramifications are felt for longer and they kind of impact how the characters interact with each other more long-term in really interesting, cool ways. And you can use that those that influence later to be like, hey, you know, our threads or things like that or tangles, they're called a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Sean? Yeah, I um, we're, we're dancing around the dang example that I know you <laughs> want to talk about. But I want to save and that you, for favorite for favorite experiences. And, and I'm so. just like, okay, because like, seriously, like the, the example that we're going to talk about is going to like talk about how I handle all this. But without <laughs> referencing it, the way I handled it and the way I've always handled it is you have to play your intelligence and your wisdom. So if somebody wants to get into a big debate, let's say we're playing D&D, &D. Um, and I, I did this with our, our larger groups, and I still do this to a degree. Um, if they want to get into a real big moral debate about why we need to go save X versus why we need to go save Y, and one's a barbarian with an intelligence of eight, but is a very well-spoken, eloquent lawyer, and the other person is just, a, I don't know, just a, just an everyday crafter, an everyday just kind of artist or something, um, but is playing somebody with an extremely high intelligence and charisma, um, playing a bard of some kind, um, I will tell the person who is more eloquent, you have to role play this argument. You can't, you can't use your inherent player knowledge. You have to use your character knowledge. Meaning, you know, if, if you're, if you have role played it up to this point, I grog beat with stick and, and eat frog. This is how you have to try to portray your argument to win people over. So I he can't I, pull I, out I, like the spectacles, put them on, and then be like, "So as I was saying, right?" He can't all of a sudden go Hulk in Endgame, right, where he's Banner and he's like, "Well, I just combined my intelligence with my," you know, like I, I, I in those situations, if they are choosing to role play this argument out, I make them role play it as their characters, and then I make the other characters who are possibly going to try to, you know, do this on either side, uh, uh, uh make their decision as characters accordingly um there was one time where <laughs> this person had like a really abysmal like i mean just their their intelligence score i think was like a seven mm. um out of 20 you know so just not great had negative modifiers and but the person was in, extremely intelligent and was trying desperately to to actually convince people that that what they were doing was wrong couldn't get there um, as far as role playing it out, he kept slipping into a much more eloquent phrase. And I was like, okay, look, I, we don't really want to do this, but we're going to have to actually roll to see if you're successful. And so I actually basically had to give him a huge negative modifier for just being too damn smart in real life. So even though I knew that his education, like had just kind of seeped into the argument, I, I basically made it where it was almost impossible for him to convince anybody. And I hated doing that, but, but it was the right way for that particular thing to play because the argument he was was giving was some something that uh, that particular level of character would just not be able to convince and i was like there's just no way your, your level seven intelligence is going to start pulling out stuff like treaties and 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 and, and, and complex you know political systems you're going to be like i want to hit it with a rock you know and i'm like and, and he was like it's fair um but and, and the, the funny part was is that he was dead accurate right um and then they figured it out later on and that was of course the gloat moment and the gloat moment was, imagine a character who's had an intelligence of seven, who said we should not do the thing, is told they have to role play it, loses the argument, and then is proven right later on. 
oh, you get to play like a six-year-old. So for like three games, every time he wanted to gloat that he was right, I let him go ahead. He just got to gloat his butt off. So even though he lost the argument, he won for like three more games where he was like, yes, I'm right. So like every time they would basically say that he was making the wrong choice, he would go, I was wrong about that. And they're like, okay, we're all going to do this tonight. And so you find ways to reward players, you know, if you have to step in like that and adjudicate, uh, as Kimmy was saying, but in, in a, in ideal world people will role play the character as they're statted not as they they intellectually actually are so yeah i mean the example i'm just oh sorry no go ahead the example i'm gonna give just really quick is um you know because i'm i'm kind of like a frustrated actor slash writer i became an engineer just to pay the bills but like if i followed my heart i'd be doing like creative stuff like that so like the the improvisation uh aspect of role playing is like one of the things that i absolutely love and so we had a situation where the first time i i was a gm uh, i played the Babylon <laughs> i know the story i yeah. know the story <laughs> <laughs> i played the Babylon five and and i already had the plan so the plan was well i mean the storyline for anyone who's familiar with Babylon 5, as I was doing a thousand years ago during the previous Shadow War, but the characters fall onto Earth where, you know, it's, it's you know, it's like 1200 AD. And so, like, I was going to have it, like, the characters don't understand each other at first until they find the translator and then everybody can talk to each other. And so we had two players that came together and the one player was really role-playing it. He was like, he was playing a Native American character and he was like, what, what is this guy? What is he, you know, you know, he's trying to communicate, he's pointing at things. The other player, though, was a player who had played D&D for like, he was like from the 70s. He had been playing D&D. He was used to things being very set. Everybody, you know, is all friends. Everybody knows each other. And basically the the first player the player playing a native american uh just started slapping him at one point and uh, i'm not sure exactly what he was trying to get out of that it wasn't like an anger it was something he was trying to convey with the slapping but it was like light slapping not like trying to do damage and the 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 other guy just got so mad and he just like got up and left but i was enjoying it i was like this is fascinating to watch and and part of it maybe is that as a new gm there wasn't confidence that i would take care of this down the road but like the plan was already there to take care of it i just wanted to see how players would deal with the idea of you can't understand each other verbally and everybody else was having fun with it everybody else like enjoyed it and then just like one person who like that didn't you know like that no that that's just something we don't do and now like with kimmy's point maybe that's something you should talk about ahead of time or whatever um you know again that's that's like i never would have crossed my mind that somebody would get that upset about it um until i actually saw it happen um, yeah, you basically, so Nathan basically introduced the Darmok and Jalad moment in the very first game, <laughs> in the very first session that he ever, like, you, you build up to Darmok and Jalad, man, like, that's, that's like three or four sessions in, you know, like, you know, like, we get to know each other, and then like, we can't communicate or something, but he he dropped us into the deep end, and I applauded the effort, but I was like, yeah, and with this particular gamer who got very upset and actually walked out, this was also a guy when we were playing a D&D game, um, at one point got very mad because everybody just wanted to split up the loot equally. But they're like, hey, you know, if the archer wants the bow, he gets the bow, right? And and so basically the guy called everybody communists. He was like, oh, so you're all communists. He's like, no, whoever grabs the loot gets the loot. And we're like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? So again, it's player styles. And that and this particular player just was not meshing well with the group. So 
that 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 I, I like to say that because even though Nathan went for a, I mean, he swung for the fences right off the bat. That particular player just was not a good fit for this group and this idea that Nathan was trying to propose, which is again something that Kimmy was talking about and also Mark talking about, which is you got to feel comfortable and safe with your players. Everybody has to feel like. You know, if you feel strange or if you feel that the players will not react properly, it can become a very, you know, alienating or you can take it very personally, which this player did. So not your fault. Not your fault, Nathan. Yeah. And the thing is, there were no warning signs either. He just like jumped up and ran out the door in yep. anger. And it was like, wow, like we went from like zero to 60 in two seconds. Like It was just like, if there had been warning signs, I would have done something about it, but there were no warning signs of that. Every other time I've seen characters like they might get into conflict where it actually affects the out of game, there's always been warning signs where you could tell and then it's like, okay, we're going to like fix this. But it's like, yeah, that, that, that was, that was, that was, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. But we, uh, we should move on to the next question because it's been like 30 minutes. So. I know, I know, I know. But Kimmy, was there something that you wanted to say? I, I want to Kimmy, get, I'm sorry. I, sorry. I did interrupt you, I think. Oh, no, I was uh, I was just going to play devil's advocate with like a last little like observation. You all are describing how you were able to GM situations like this in spite of D&D not having any mechanics for it. So, and I think that's great. Like like playing outside of like and, and, and making systems like fit what we want them yeah. to do is fantastic. And I think like that's something that we need to make very clear for people who are in these situations in systems like D&D &D or Traveler or GURPS where there aren't necessarily those social mechanics in place, like let it happen and like be ready with like these other tools that you can get and bring into the game to make it work. Right, yeah. And honestly, I think that's the, the out of all of these, you know, uh, shows that we've done, all these episodes that we've done, I think the core of my philosophy has always been go where your story is and figure it out. You know, um, yeah. I, I have never been one to say, well, the rules don't allow that. So I'm not going to let that happen. I'm always the person that says, well, let's figure out how to make that happen. I want to enjoy a universe. If I play D&D &D and I want to play in Strahd, uh, uh, Ravenloft and whatnot, and I want to do that, and then I want to introduce an element that's not supposed to be there, I want to introduce that element. If I want to do something that's extremely emotional and is going to have a lot of just intense role-playing, R-O-L-E, um, then I'm going to try to figure out the best way to make that happen. Um, I believe fully that the way you make any role-playing game yours is by saying, okay, this is a great starting point. How can I make this unique to what I would like to do with it? Whether you're playing D&D, &D, GURPS. By the way, shout out for GURPS on that one, Kimmy, because nobody ever talks about GURPS anymore, right? Um, yeah. That's a deep pocket right there. It yeah. is. Oh, man, I love GURPS, which for those of you who don't know, GURPS stands for Generic Universal Role-Playing System. Uh, so, <laughs> but GURPS, man, love GURPS. Um, but, you know, uh, you play, play an old school Palladium game, whatever it is, there, there are so many things that are just not included in the rule book. And you as the DM have to find a way to facilitate that goal. And if your goal is to you know, make it all combat, figure it out. If your goal is to make it all role-playing, figure it out. That's the key is that's the thing that makes your game memorable. I'm going to, I'm going to su suggest that yeah. like right up until about the mid nineties, every new system that came out always in, was front loaded with, if something doesn't work for you, change it, you know, right. if you want, you know, and, and I'm not sure uh, when that, got replaced with with systems uh like uh you know 
uh, make a ruling for now, move on and then look it up later, which is, which is good advice and maybe something we intuited, but um, there, there isn't a role-playing game I've, I own or have played that we didn't kick the tires and, you know, tape off the rules that we didn't need and only use the ones that we did. I mean, that's, that was, that was de rigueur uh, for us, you know, uh, uh, nothing fit. Nothing ever really was a, was a complete fit. Um, I'm as a 15 year old, my biggest uh, screaming uh, complaint about Dungeons and Dragons was that I couldn't do Conan with it. Mm. And so, uh, and then, and then, so you want a Conan game? And I went, I didn't want that Conan game. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a big, yeah, we, we all had to do that. At least, you know, gamers over a certain age had to do that uh, for forever. And so it's second nature to me. And I think uh, that's just the secret for being a good DM is just yeah. to, to, to find a way to make it your own. And I think nine yeah. times out of 10, the way you do that is you find a system that works for you and then you customize it. I mean, Nathan, you remember I had oh. binders of, of I, I wrote so many I was just going to so bring many... up my earliest memories of playing with you are you got the Mekton book open, the D&D book open. You got like, like incompatible systems all open and you're pulling from all of them to make yeah. like the stuff that you want to do. And then I have my binder full of my own handwritten rules where I'm like, okay, well, this is why this is being mm -hmm. used here. And like, it was a consistent application of how I was putting this all together. And if somebody wanted to see, I would flip the binder around and say, this is why we're doing this. And they would look at it and they go, okay, man, you're the DM, whatever. You know, <laughs> fortunately, everybody trusted me to not just screw them, you know, because I was just, you know, in a mood that day. Um, but anyway, right. sorry, we're, we're, we're yeah, down. I, I think we need to move on now from, from the topic of character conflict, but all right. So, so, so there's something we touched on the first time that I want to go back to and talk about a little bit more about the expense of role-playing as a hobby. And, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people that seem to think that role-playing games need a lot of investment into them, that you need to buy many. I remember one time that people got offended that I was using, again, this is me because I moved around, you know, trying to find a group. I didn't have like the group of friends already baked in, like, you know, some people did. And it's like, uh, yeah, like uh, they would get upset, like, because I'm using skeletons to represent like a dire wolf or whatever, because I'm like, well, I, I just happen to have a skeleton. So I put it down. I don't have the dire wolf, you know, but it's a dire wolf. I tell them that. And they put it down and then they would just like get upset. Like, you know, like, what is this? Like, this isn't right. And so well, then screw them. Go get your Monopoly dog and put the Monopoly dog on the damn table and say, that's a wolf. Right. That, that little Scotty. That, the... Sorry. I guess. Yeah. I remember when we were playing one time uh, with one of our friends and we were using like marbles and crap. Oh. But, but yeah, like, like, you know, and again, not all systems even require that you put things on a mat, but that's the thing. It's like, there's this sort of mindset, there's this sort of amongst some people about like how much you need to like create like a physical representation of your game. Uh, there's a, there's a meme that was going around about which showed like the cityscape with fog and everything. And it's like mm -hmm. your move, like, you know, like GM or whatever. And it's just like, you don't need that in my mind yeah. but i'm curious what everybody else thinks about investment like like what do you need to play a game like how how much do you spend on it like you know uh, you know what what do you think about this like about gaming as like an expensive hobby so let's start with you on this one sean pen paper dice friends 
done. You don't even need a damn book. Okay. If you can put together some rules that everybody can agree on, that's all you need. There are Period. a lot of things that are on the internet too that are yeah. just like a small no, system about... that you can download or whatever. Yeah. I remember playing a game with a friend of mine. He literally just took a pack of regular like poker cards and he built an entire game system on hmm. randomly pulling poker cards, you know. So you you pull up, you know, the four of diamonds or something, and that would mean something and that would give you an advantage or blah blah blah. No dice were involved. Doesn't matter. Friends, dice asterisks you know some kind of way to determine how you're going to you know succeed yeah, something yeah you know pen and Typically paper does. that's it that that is all right. you need quite honestly and i know that for a lot of people the verisimilitude the ability to it, it, you know put yourself into the world by having minis by having you know these really cool miniatures and and, and play sets are awesome and i love them i have them myself i've built them um that's just if you can do it but my some of my best experiences ever have just been theater of the mind you know, and theater of the mind is ultimately the, the biggest budget you're ever going to have. And, and I think as long as everybody can use that part of their imagination, you can have a great time. And if you can't and you need props, well, then it's going to be a lot more, uh, more expensive for you. But I remember when I was a teenager in the 90s, I would go and I would play uh, role playing games. And then I would see these cats playing stuff like Warhammer 40K. And those guys would drop hundreds and hundreds of dollars on these little miniatures that they would play these war games with. And I would look at them like, wow, that's crazy. And I'm sitting over here with my buddies and I have one book that I bought for like 30 bucks, you know, a, a notebook that's like maybe a you know buck 50, some pencils and some dice. And, you know, we're having just as much fun. It, it's it's really what you put into it. And, and for me, it'll always come down to pen, paper, you know, uh, friends, and then a way to determine how to play the game and a book maybe two and that that that's the that's the answer for me all right uh mark anything to add to that well i brought show and tell uh i i i played theater of the mind for years mostly mm -hmm. because i thought that uh that uh lead minis were a ripoff <laughs> um i never liked them you know and and for me it's it's weird that uh you know, for the longest time, I didn't like them because I never found one that looked like the characters I was playing, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, and so I'd rather just make it up in my head and describe it. Although but, I will say now with things like Hero Forge out there where you can custom make your own like tailored mini, that is really neat. It's okay. expensive, but it is really, really cool. You can make your character the way you envision it. I was most impressed when I came back to this stuff in 2014 at the DIY slash maker mm. uh, movement that was sort of in with the OSR at the time. And so um, I began to realize that there was a lot more resources out there for inexpensive sort of leveling up on the on the table. Uh, everything from papercraft terrain uh, from Fat Dragon to um, a number like, you know, of course, uh, fourth edition had had the tokens on the battle maps and everything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I got I got inspired to do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, of, co of course, the irony is, is that in order to make the cheap tokens, I had to buy the circle cutters and I had to buy the <laughs> the the capuchons and and the the little bases and all this kind of stuff. See, it, it, you know, it always costs money. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is 
a dragon token that I made uh, using uh, artwork from uh, the game. Uh, and um, on the underside, I used um, little furniture pads and the whole thing is glued in between two lucite uh, circles, one black and one clear, so that I've got a clear opaque thing. And what's nice about this is because of the elevation, when this is moving around on the board, I can put it on top of uh, somebody else's character, <laughs> you know, uh, thud like this. And so, um, you know, this cost me is about $7. Uh, and this is this was more expensive than normal. The the regular tokens cost me, you know, not very much. But I found, you know, I have found that even just a little bit of of that for tactical purposes, uh, battle mats with the with the wipe on wipe offs and just a few tokens um, really helps them sort of establish where people are and what's going on and who's doing what. And uh, I they they I think the the video game people really appreciate that a little bit more mm. but there i would only do it during combat and there was there were several sessions where we get into a skirmish and i, I and, and like do you want the battle that now we'll just do this and they'll go okay because they didn't want to stop and 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 do that either um i always prefer theater of the mind and i'm a good enough writer and a good enough um storyteller that i can i can get you there without the the visual aids but um, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for, uh, you know, uh, well-built, interesting terrain mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, a, a clever use of minis or, uh, what, you know, and I, I really appreciate the creativeness of like people finding toys and repainting them, you know, or using army men, uh, for, for cannon fodder or, you know, whatever. There I, are people I'm, who like take those metal minis and they take arms off like one and put them on another and stuff like that. Like it's, it's, it's really impressive. Like how they can customize, they'll Dremel off bits and, you know, like do all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, if you want to get into that, that is a really, <laughs> if that's your truth, feel free to speak it. I will not go there with you. Cause I, I find that I, I there's a there's a point at which it becomes too much mm. you know this this was about 10 minutes waiting for the glue to dry so for me this is about as much as I want to spend on a dragon because and 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 for people who are used to one inch counters on the on the table when I drop this in they're just as excited as if I put a giant $50 plastic dragon mini down like for them the the scale of this being a, a four inch gargantuan dragon is not lost on them, you know, and, it, and seeing the space it takes up on the map is like, Oh my God, that thing's enormous. It's the same reaction. Right. And so, so yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's fine. I'm not, I'm not married to it. Uh, uh, I really appreciate the ingenuity of, of people using other things and, and applaud that because uh, you can really, yeah, you still it's it, it gets to be uniquely yours in, yeah. in, in that respect so yeah, yeah. I, I will put out the disclaimer that as an obsessive collector i actually have like two like 
I don't know, like four foot trays, you know, they're probably like four foot tall and like three feet wide with all these trays that you can pull out full of minis. <laughs> and I also like kickstarted like this modular terrain thing that like has like all this cool terrain that you can do. And my players were really impressed last year when we did our annual game, you know, with that. But that's the thing. It's like, but I, as a player, have happily played under theater of the mind conditions and i'm perfectly happy to play that way which is why i bring this up but yeah i i'm an obsessive collector and i just you know decide you know i collect things so um you know i have purchased a lot of stuff but i do the pre-painted minis i don't want to do any work you know like i do the plastic pre-painted minis that are already done and then it's like oh okay so i've got a bunch of giants i've got a bunch of orcs i got a but you know whatever but anyway Yes, I think that the, the pawns and the tokens are really great, like cost savings way that's come out, you know, in the last few years. To but it all, know, but it all costs that. money, and you all you have to have a, something to store it in, mm -hmm. which is which is more money. There's hidden costs in all of it. It doesn't, you know, if, if, if any as soon as you go, well, I'll just get a I'll just get a battle mat to, that I can draw on you've you've doomed yourself at that point you know I that's mean, how we started we got the erasable yeah. battle mat and you might as well just just cut off just cut out one of your kidneys and sell <laughs> on the black market because that's that's where you're going that's where you're going to end up there anyways just skip a bunch of steps <laughs> right. all right kimmy what are your thoughts on this um yes uh Tabletop role playing is like one of the most expensive hobbies that I have. Um, I do theater of the mind with most things, but I love the indie scenes. So I find myself backing a uh, innumerable number of Kickstarters. Um, and that gets expensive very quickly. It's, it's um, own habit. Yes. That yeah. <laughs> so while it may not be on minis and stuff, it definitely like, you know, oh, that looks like an amazing. System. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. Oh, if I back at this level, I can get the special dice and the pin that goes with it. And, you know, all yeah. oh, the hardcover with the special paper and, and the PDF, all the things. So that's, that tends to be where my money goes with that. Um, and also we haven't even mentioned the expense of a lot of the virtual tabletop systems that people are using a lot. So like right now it's, uh, I'm playing uh, a game in D&D uh, Beyond and we're using roll 20 so that right there like i i am not out of pocket because i'm not dming this game this time but that's like another set of the books that the dm bought because they definitely have the in-person like the regular paper books but then mm -hmm. when you're on roll 20 or, or i'm sorry in dd D &D beyond you also have to buy them there so they're buying two sets of the books you know you buy all the special accoutrement that go with it and stuff like that. You have to get the premium subscription that you can slow, you can have like the dynamic lighting and then slowly reveal the map to the players. So there's all these little things that are uh, not things that you readily think of when you're like, oh, it costs a lot. Like everybody thinks like, oh, Warhammer Ar Army is super expensive. It's like, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. Very expensive. But you kind of go into that knowing that. But there's just so many like like you were saying, Mark, like hidden costs or things that you don't necessarily anticipate um, and they can add up. But again, like if you have better self-control than me when you visit Kickstarter or itch.io or any of these places where games are, um, and if you're not, you know, if, you, if you're using your paper books or whatever you have already, rather than getting all the fancy upgrades to your virtual tabletop, the hobby does not have to be expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but it is like one of those things when you're like, walking down the street with like four shoe stores and you have to go in all of them because why wouldn't you you know 
Yeah, I will say that for like the first year of COVID, probably like the thing that I spent the most money on that wasn't like necessities was Kickstarters of RPGs. <laughs> I so um, many. <laughs> I hope one of them was mine. <laughs> I, I don't think I knew about yours at the time. It was right before COVID. Like no. literally, like we closed like the, like March first of twenty twenty. It was it was great timing. Yeah. And another expense that a lot of people don't realize is time, especially if you're the DM storyteller. And, you know, because, you know, we were talking about, you know, Mark was talking about creating tokens. Kimmy was talking about using Roll20. Um, I do a lot of stuff like that. And uh, when we were doing the big Imperian Age game um, and even Twilight Age that we're playing now, um, I go and I basically hand make all of our terrain. I make all of our tokens and they're in roll 20 and I, and I find artwork and I customize stuff. One of the things I was known for um, uh, uh, during the early days of the Imperian Age is I would have a stack. I would literally have, it looked like a, a magic deck uh, of cards and that was all the different loot. And so I would make all the different magic items and stuff. And so if they, if they found something, I would hand them the card and the card would have a piece of artwork on the front and you flip it over on the back and it would have all the stats and they would have it right there. And they knew I have this in my inventory, which is great when you've planned that out and you, you, you introduce it as a concept. But then as the months turn into years, you have to keep up with all that. You have to keep making the new inventory. You have to keep making the artwork. You have to keep, you know, building all that stuff up. Whereas if I was just doing, you know, theater of the mind, I'd say, hey, you got a plus three sword that looks like this and blah, 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 describe it. And if they want to draw it out on their piece of paper, you know, like players used to do back in the 80s and 90s, then great. But, um, you know, when you're when you're a kid who literally has. I know, miss uh, the artwork. <laughs> I know, right? Not, not that like, I yeah. ever produced any, but that the other players or you would produce. Like I missed right, like, right, all the right. drawings. Yes. Yeah, but you know, when you have a BFA from you know the Savannah College of Art and Design, <laughs> and you are an expert of Photoshop of almost thirty years, you know, you're like, I'm going to use these skills. Dang it, you know. So, uh, but of course, that always comes back and bites you in the butt. But yes, expensive. It, it honestly comes down to this: if you want to make your systems more immersive beyond theater of the mind, you're either going to pay with it with time or money. And you have to make sure it's worth that trade, period. Although That's I will say this. If you're going to play in a, a common system like D&D, which we keep, keep mentioning, there are tools out there. If you want to do just a little bit of Google Foo, that will help with, like, if you don't want to create the dungeon and handcraft it yourself, there are tools to help you build that dungeon faster and help you auto-populate it. And we'll take in data, like, what level is your party at? You know, stuff like that. And they'll help, like, you craft it. And you can change parameters and things, and, you know, it'll, you know, make the dungeon more maze-like, less maze-like, more loot, less loot, harder monsters, less harder monsters, things like that. But it's something that I don't do all the time. But if I have a time crunch, it is something that just to know that it's out there, that there are tools that you can use to dip in to help you create encounters, create dungeons, create, you know, scenarios, you know, various things. And, you know, obviously for the less common the game system is, the less of those tools will be available, maybe nothing. But, you know, especially now that, you know, fifth edition is like a system that other systems like latch onto you can still use a lot of that stuff anyway even if you're not playing DD, if it's another 5e based system and then just tailor it with whatever you need to do to tailor it to whatever you're actually playing but um i did want to throw that out there that there are time savers out there also that again are perfectly free 
that you can just find on the internet because somebody who's just like, hey, this is something like utility I created for my own use, but hey, everybody on the internet, you can have it now too. So, um, you know, uh, but anyway, um, let's move on here. So we talked about character conflict and allowing and not allowing and rules around that, but just thoughts on anything else where it's like, what are your ground rules? Like, what are things that you don't allow or you do allow? Like, do you have anything like that? Though it's like, this is just something that's completely forbidden in this game. We don't do that. Um, so Kimmy, let's start with you. Um, well, before every game I run, we do what I mentioned earlier, which is called lines and veils, which is a safety tool. Um, I actually have a big write-up on all safety tools. If you go to goldenlassogames.com, um, there's a button that says tools or you could just go to tools um then that lists a whole bunch of safety tools lines and veils is like the most important one for me and it's basically usually i'll uh, i send out um a google doc uh, an anonymous link so people can add things to the spread to it before the game starts and basically lines are things where it's like okay these are the things where we will fade to black so it's like okay like i'm fine with people getting it on like it's a fade to black thing um you know i don't want to have a graphic description of what they're doing to each other, things like that. Um, and then lines are things that like, this can't be in the game. And usually those touch on things like that, that are, that are very touchy to the player in person. So it's like, after I had my, my daughter, like something I'd, I'd never, I'd, I cared. I hadn't been super great and loving like, like child harm in games, but it wasn't something that I was like, no, but now it's like a thing I can't handle. I'm a little bit better about it now that she's almost two, but like, especially right after she was born, like any child being looked at funny by anything, like, and I just started sobbing. So it's like, those lines are like, these are things that cannot be in our game. So I always start the process with giving people a couple of days to add things to, to that document like that. And then that's kind of what I run off of. Um, so like that, that is our, my guide to who, as I GM and I run this game, these are the things that will absolutely not be in there. These are the things that um, can be in there, but fade to black. Um, for me personally, um, like sexual assault and rape, like it's used too much as a tool in, you know, movies and things like that anyway. And usually it has nothing to do with the women and everything to do with the man who's rescuing her like that so that's usually something that i just steered clear of um and uh yeah i don't know other than that it's a little bit flexible depending on what it is um my gm right now uh or sorry my dm for curse we're doing a curse of straw campaign and we did uh lines and veils before we started <laughs> poor guy like <laughs> we've been playing it for over a year now so it's like me i was like no children can be harmed nobody can be mean to kids like so he had to like reorganize a bunch of it and kind of like tweak the story um, but he did a really great job of it and I've been very thankful about it so he's a dad too so he gets it but I was like we started when my daughter was like six months old and it was like like COVID and everything and like everything's trying to kill my tiny infant please don't have any child harm in this game and stuff like that so hope that answers your question appropriately <laughs> the city was destroyed but thankfully a kind person led all the children out of the city before the exactly <laughs> yeah or just like there are no kids in the city isn't that weird it, it's like <laughs> it must be a creepy thing about barovia that there's no children 
Yeah. So things like that. So there's, oh, there's great easy ways around it. I'm very familiar with that because my wife is the same way. Like we had to stop watching several different shows because like child harm became a thing, you know, in the show. And I was just like, I, I bet it's just this one scene. Like, can't we keep it? And she's just like, no, we're done. You know, like we're, we're not watching this anymore. And it's like, oh, come on. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, Mark, uh, what about you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a 52 year old white cisgendered male with no children um there is nothing that you can offend me with frankly uh there's just not well cancer i have a problem with cancer now well i mean it's it doesn't have to be something moral it could be something where you just feel like I'm just not going to allow this because it destroys games or whatever. Like, do you have anything like that? Running, running a game. I have, um, I'm still real kind of dicey on evil. Um, because, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, I think it would be possible to play evil characters. Um, but you'd have to decide, you'd have to decide how you want to express that in game and most people can't get past well i would just kill my party members and take their stuff yep uh, not really see that's not evil that's in in game terms that's dickhead <laughs> um so you know evil tends to be more self-centered and so you know you might do something that the rest of the party doesn't want done uh because it 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 fits your agenda and if that thing might you know it, it comes back to blow back blows back on the whole party um and you're not sorry about it i would call that the actions of an evil character in game uh but you know again those are sophisticated distinctions and i wouldn't just do that with any group um i like uh like most right-thinking people on the planet these days, uh, I don't like sexual assault and rape. I think it's uh, crass, cheap, and and doesn't bring anything to the table that you can't get in other ways uh, w without, you know, uh, having it be a, a far less upsetting uh, sort of scenario, you know? So... Um, you know, I, I try. I just try to think in terms of, uh, you know, decency. It's okay to play. We're playing a fantasy game. You want to be an elf. Awesome. That's great. Uh, we're still living in the real world. So, you know, uh, there's certain uh, language that I don't want to hear in a game. Um, you know, no matter what what the context is, I just don't want to hear it. So uh, I, I just try to think in terms of that, you know, um, uh, this is this we're not we're, this isn't virtual reality. I'm not trying to simulate the real world. I'm trying to I'm trying to simulate a fantasy environment that we're all contributing to, and so uh, that we that we've got sort of an equal stake in it. Uh, I try to set some rules down where we you know all agree this is how we're going to you know treat each other as as players uh, rather than than characters characters can bang around but you know we you got to respect for one another so you know don't don't say crude and horrible things uh just because you can because one of the players is a is a girl 
you, you know, uh, you wouldn't do that in the real world. Don't do it here. That's, you know, don't do that. You know, that's so I just that's what I try to sort of adjudicate. I also am playing with younger players. I'm playing with people not my age a lot of the time. And so um, it's important for me to kind of lay some of that down. But, um, you know, and, and I suppose there's a hypocrisy here. You know, we'll draw the curtains on on a romantic scene, but I'll ask the barbarian to describe in detail how he decapitates the leader of the bandits. So, you know, what does that say about us? You know, uh, thanks, uh, Nathan, your questions bum me out. No, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Sean, what about you? Is there anything that you forbid? in your game um i mean honestly i think we've covered this pretty well over three sessions we keep talking about the comfort of your group making sure everybody's on the same page and i think that's the paramount rule and if something falls out of that you make sure um that you don't go there but the the paramount rule for me has always been socially unacceptable things in the real world are not automatically acceptable in our fantasy world so racism you know like if it like like if somebody wants to try to drop like the infamous n-bomb for some reason if that was some no i'm serious look okay kimmy's making faces nobody can see this on the podcast but kimmy's making faces nathan and i grew up in a town in the deep south in the 90s and you know what there are a bunch of good old boys who think they could get away with stuff and they would come in and they would try to hang out with our group and we would have a lot of like again i'm hispanic but i passed for white i would always have a lot of people of color in our group a lot of females in our group and they would say some of the most sexist racist stuff and those guys gone in a moment they would show that side of them you're not allowed here anymore period oh Done. for sure like i like having it, been in even... the convention scene in the united states as a woman for many years like i've been on the receiving end of that but that's like my, my look was more like oh no that that doesn't fly you don't fix that situation this no out. no they're gone they're just boom, they're out you know um and and then you know that 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 right there is just like uh, that that never ever ever flies um uh and then obviously i think the thing that i've never found acceptable in any way fashion or form and would never allow is any kind of sexual assault period yeah um there have been characters I, it, it, it like, well, it's crazy to me that people think of that as a player yes. character of like that's something that i want to do because it never would have entered my mind that that's a thing yeah, that, it, that I, I would never want to play a character that that's a thing that they wanted to do <laughs> so right it's I, like, mean, it, it's just yeah, you know, and I mean, there was one time where we got to a situation where it almost kind of sort of happened, but it was like a consensual thing. And, and like, there, it involved a gerbil in somebody's butt. And it was like a whole weird joke that somebody and it was, it, okay, it was no, I remember, I remember how things and were one back of our, in the day. And one yeah, of our I, players was and one of our players was like, No, we, we can't do this. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah let's just not do this. And, and, and I made sure that that player was okay later. I was like, Are you okay? Like, okay, I'm okay. And I was like, sorry, I didn't, you know, we didn't want that. That was just that, that was clearly a joke that just it zigged when somebody should have zagged and i was like but that's the closest ever and that's that is a far cry but uh, no absolutely there not. was but a I, lot of adolescent talk in those days that's yes. not necessarily like really anyone was thinking that was actually happening in game but right, sometimes right, people right, would right. talk but, about the like oh this happens and that happens and yeah right like, right but, but like yeah. actual like you know i'm going to go after this person or make that to a plot point never absolutely not that's just not a no absolutely well, not. and so. and that isn't usually included in games at least in my experience by the gm almost exclusively like no player goes out and is like hey i'm gonna go commit a rape like i mean some people do seen it but it's not very, very common, but most of the time it's used as a plot device by the person running the game. 
Um, so as a player, it's something that we as GMs have to really keep in mind, because even though it's used as a plot device very commonly in pop culture, like it shouldn't, you shouldn't ever have somebody who possibly has been through that have to face something like that. And it's just, it's terrible plot device anyway, but like you, you know, it's like, oh, so not like actually doing it in the game, but saying like this character has been sexually assaulted. Yeah. Like, like oh, okay. That's a little, I mean, at least I understand how that happens. Right. 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 Rather rather than being like, you know, like making it like something that happens, like you're describing it as it's happening kind of thing. Right. Like, like, I mean, like a good example of this is like, you know, and I mean, granted, now this is not the best example of all time and and please forgive, um, but Dawn Bluth's Dragon Slayer, right? Like the dragon is going to take the princess and like, you know, you know, it's like, oh, well, why does the dragon who's collecting gold want a princess? Yeah, you can infer what might happen, but they never go there, right? Like, you know, but you can infer danger without actually having to go to that situation, you know? Uh, now, great, the damsel in distress is played out. Try to come up with something better. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but if you are going to damsel in distress somebody or, or well, what's the male version of damsel? Dane? If you're going to Dane and distress somebody, you know, never bring assault into it like that just don't do it just there's uh in the 80s uh when sword and sorcery was much more prevalent um it was a shortcut for a a lot of uh authors and it also found its way into a number of movies uh probably the the biggest example of this uh is red sonia uh who is the the product of of a rape uh but and and from the, the sexual assault uh uh avenging um entity appears to her and basically says you know uh you, your strong your sword arm will be strong and you'll be as swift and you'll be uh no man's equal uh provided that you never uh you know give yourself to them and so you know in, in the 1980s to a 15 year old, that sounds deep and, and complicated and awesome, you know, uh, because, you know, there was no, there was no mechanism for talking about any of this, but those, those types of things were everywhere. And so it, it, it shows up in older gamers a lot and, and, you know, with a, what, what I, I don't understand, you know, uh, I'm not doing it. I'm saying that my character was raped. And as a result of that, I hate everyone. It's what my character would do. You see murder and kill, you know, and, and that's a whole different thing to unpack anyways. And yeah, I, yeah. I might suggest that there's, you know, uh, a, a, a therapy session or two in that person's future. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was really kind of hardwired into some of the earliest, uh, I, I won't say source material, but the things that we were looking at in the absence of anything else, you know, we, we, we took from every part of the Buffalo. And so, you know, uh, any, it any, was a trope that was just accepted. Right, yeah, was, of yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's tons of examples of that where either the character or the child of the character or whatever becomes like a hero or whatever, because of the event. And, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, honest to God, the best way, like, you know, the red Sonya example is when I'm always like, you know what, they could have literally just inserted James Earl Jones 
from Conan where he tells the woman to jump off the top of like that 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 tower and she dies and then Red Sonia goes my sister is dead I must avenge it and you'd have had the same result without any of the ookiness you know like you don't have to go there and I with that I think we should stop talking about it because I really really hate that I'm the one who said it and like we're still talking about it like it's bad don't do it don't do it yeah i mean so so yeah i mean basically the reason i was asking you guys about this just because like i say i think there are a lot of groups out there that do like pigeonhole their players a lot more and do kind of railroad them restrict them from things not just talking about like moral like things we're talking about like no racism no sexual assault which is you know i i would hope i'm hearing that it's not but i would hope would be just a normal rule that everybody just kind of you know goes with but but yeah i mean like i i pretend I, i i prefer open world also and like to allow my players to like sort of like do whatever they want to do within the bounds of reason of good taste of being offensive to somebody you know <laughs> but yes beyond that allowing them to do whatever they would want to do within the game and not trying to restrict them uh in any way from from things they would want to do um but yeah although although like mark if i ever had somebody who wanted to play evil i would worry about that but so, so far it hasn't come up so um all right, so I'm going to reformat the last two uh, the way I asked it to, like, or I put it out there, but it's still kind of the same thing because um, I want to talk about favorite gaming experiences. And I want to talk about why people should game. I feel like there's a lot of like interplay there. So how I'm going to say this or how I want to do this is you've all talked about systems that you've enjoyed playing in the past that are not D&D. So I want to talk about what is your... What is your favorite like uh or what is like your go-to non-dnd playing system and why do you feel like that is an advent you know like why is that a good system to play under why does it you know stimulate you so it could be anything doesn't have to still be in production if you want to recommend like an old game system that you played years ago that you're like oh man i wish that was still around you know do that so um let's start with you on this one mark well uh I, I know we covered this a little bit uh, in the past, but uh, uh, I am a, a huge uh, fan of Call of Cthulhu. Mm. Um, I love uh, uh, 20th century and 21st century horror gaming. I think that's awesome. And uh, one of my all-time favorite systems uh, uh, forever and ever, amen, is uh, Villains and Vigilantes. I just, mm. uh, for superhero role play, um, I, I think it's I think it's the bee's knees. Um, I you know I, I it's 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 weird because I I tend to think in terms of of genre rather than universality. I mean I played the bejesus out of GURPS and loved it, but I think GURPS like the hero system uh, breaks down over a certain point threshold, um, and uh, and becomes sort of uh, counterproductive. Um, but I think uh, uh, if I were doing, uh, if I were doing like modern day characters or historical characters and and all that, uh, I I would initially think about GURPS first for because it, for hundred point characters you can do anything and it, and 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 have a satisfying good character right out of the gate. So for for me, it it really uh, boils down to genre. What um, what game is going to is going to be the most immersive in terms of the subject matter, what I want to play, and um, how well it, it simulates that? And you know that's why Call of Cthulhu works. Uh, I, I would I think it works better than just about any other horror system. Um, 
for for what for what it does um i wouldn't play a superhero game with it right <laughs> uh and i wouldn't put cthulhu in villains and vigilantes because uh you know it, it wouldn't break the system but boy it would strain it and it would and it wouldn't have the same effect anyway so so i i'm 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 cheerfully agnostic to be honest um the only reason uh i picked up fifth edition was that everybody at, at, at the theater here was wanting to play it and was afraid to like crack the book open and try and i and so i agreed yeah i'll yeah i'll run a game for you just to show you how it works and and you know that that always leads to you know heavy petting and well, singing well, hold on a second, though. you said you're agnostic but you picked the villains and vigilantes for a reason so why do you prefer that over any others because there are plenty of other superhero games so like well, why is that one better than the other ones because i know you've played some at least some of the other ones i have played i have played champions and i've played uh mutants and masterminds and all that stuff uh it's open-ended um the and, and especially uh second edition which is the one i grew up with um you don't have to worry about point balances champions uh rewards uh people who like to crunch those numbers mm. and uh for for certain care for certain people that that learn how to crunch those numbers a certain way you can get you can get a much larger more powerful character out of a starting point total than than uh, than other people and i i'm not a math guy i i've never been a math guy so i don't i'm not interested in in, in playing um mathletes with you uh to try and make my non-player characters uh a sufficient challenge for your clearly overclocked um vigilante that that somehow has uh flight and invisibility you know uh as well as handguns that fire around corners and stupid stuff like that it's just ridiculous um villains and vigilantes on the other hand if you want to play a character that's all strength and he's got 100 strength i go all right he can have 100 strength you're going to find somebody in the game pretty quickly that's got 110 strength because i can do that and and now where whereas you know superhero games are all about the the clashing in the middle of the streets it's important that i am able to build a thing that can give you a challenge i mean you people playing superhero games one of the things you want is to be able to punch the robot and lift him up off of his feet and slam him down into the bay that's that's part of the thrill of doing superhero gaming so i've got to be able to make that work and and vnv lets me do that effortlessly mm. Uh, and, and I, I get enough creativity with the, with the, the game itself so that, um, I, you can design power sets that, that are unique and do different things. Champions doesn't let you do that. Your energy blast costs the same amount of money and does the same amount of damage. And the special effect is fire or ice or electricity. And well, you know that's boring as hell you know who, who cares what color the beam is i want fire to do something different than ice mm -hmm. uh vnv plugged that in and it's a little clunky in that regard but i don't care uh superhero games don't have to be balanced um superhero you know comic books aren't balanced and comic book movies aren't balanced i think it's okay to to have something be kind of wonky and creaky 
but I've never been able to break V and V. I've never been able to build a character that that couldn't be A played and B played against. So that feels really more technical than I just really like it. I just really like it. The okay. Jeff Deere. No, well, I asked you for specifics because I, I I want this to be your recommendation. Just like if somebody wants to play a superhero game, why would they pick D&D? Well, that's what. So you explained right. that very well. All right. So, uh, Sean, what about you? Um, You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about like all the different game systems that I've played. And if I'm being completely honest, all of my favorite game systems are the ones that I kind of cobbled together from a bunch of different things, <laughs> um, which means that nobody can play it because it doesn't exist except for in my head. Right. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about We're the fact that one of the... <laughs> Yeah, Brave Epic, right? Yeah, Brave Epic is my 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 mashup game that is sci-fi and fantasy and anything in between, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 a crazy little game, um, and it works, you know. Um, but when I come down to think about what I value in a game, what taught me the most, what gave me the most empowerment as a person to say I could sit with five friends or four friends or 10 friends or whomever and we're going to have a collective experience it always goes back to the second edition white wolf rules mm. um problematic as they were in today's context in the 90s they were a revelation they basically said here are the rules if they work great if they don't work ignore them and they would give you plenty of options if you wanted to be a charismatic vampire that you know stalked the night and and was mischievous then you could do that if you wanted to be a werewolf that was hell-bent on saving the planet from pollution and nuclear fallout you could do that if you wanted to be a magician that could bend reality and fight for free will you could be that and it all meshed together beautifully and it was the system that taught me that the rules are only as valuable as the person who is building the story, meaning that if they're not working for you, don't use them. And that led to me going down other rabbit holes, which led me to things like Mekton Z, which is extremely clunky and extremely uh, 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 boring. And I looked at my White Wolf rules and I, I looked at that golden rule. If it doesn't work, rip it out. And so I tore the guts out of Mekton Z and said, okay, all these pages that explain how we're going to do all this, ignore that. And I, I would water down those guts of that game to exactly what I needed um, in order to make that system work, you know, fast and quick. And because of that, it was always make the rules work so that the story is fun, that people are having fun. And that, of course, led to what you and I know as Brave Epic, which was the fantasy sci-fi mash that took a little D&D &D and took some Mekton Z and took White Wolf and, and put it all together. Um, but none of that would have happened without White Wolf being there first. Um, because if my first experience with uh, role-playing games was that uh, AD&D game where I told you guys where the guy lit my character sheet on fire, that would have been it. I, I would never play it again. So uh, if it wasn't for White Wolf, Nathan would not have had because I feel like the all three of these uh, episodes have been Nathan going like this is why Sean was awesome and I'm like dude okay like <laughs> like sometimes I feel like I like I'm like I shouldn't have to talk I should just go yes this happened and then just <laughs> let Nathan tell the stories you know because I'm like but honestly it's all because of White Wolf so for me White Wolf Second Edition really is 
uh, the end all be all as far as the empowerment and, and really teaching me to just take the training wheels off and to just ride down that road. And you know what? I've had my own uh, Darmok and uh, Shalada Tanagra moments way too early on and, and had them blow up in my face too. So I'm, I'm telling you, White Wolf, that's where you go. So um, if you've never tried it, uh, I can't endorse the newer ones because I just have not played with them. But from what I understand, they are phenomenally uh, updated and they are very, very tight role-playing uh, systems. So definitely look into that. Yeah, I, I will just say really quick, uh, the thing I miss about Mechton and that I've incorporated into d d is the, mm. the where the damage happens rule. And so now I just yeah, have a guy that I throw that throws like, you know, cause like, I feel like that's something where like D and D sort of homogenizes the body. And I'm mm -hmm. like, but yeah, but like, if you hit somebody in the arm and do massive damage, it's very different from hitting them in the head and doing massive damage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I, 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 I add that for the flavor, but also like, you know, if, if it's enough damage, we start like, you know, doing some damage specifically to like what players can do, uh, which, right. which I like, but anyway, uh, Kimmy, uh, favorite system. Um, my favorite system right now, because as we've established, like my life is a buffet of different systems and I love mm. it, um, is I think powered by the apocalypse right now, which are, it's hard because it's not a single system. It is a ton of different games, like literally hundreds based on the same mechanics framework, which is the apocalypse world framework. Some of the games I love, some of them I hate, basically they all use like some variation of two dice that you roll and then you have like, okay, this is a, you know, a, a complication, something like you don't want to happen happens. You don't succeed. Usually there's like a middle success, which is like, okay, you get what you do, what you want, but something else happens that you don't expect. And then there's like a full success, which I love kind of that gradients where it's just like, it's not just like, Oh no, you missed your, you missed your attack, you know? And it's like, so there's none of that. Like every single thing that happens moves the story forward and actually quote unquote failing your role. We don't usually call it failing anymore in powered by the apocalypse pushes the story forward. It's like, Oh, nope. Your attack fails and you slam into the building behind you. And now there's some people like who are in danger there and you're going to have to like help them too. So it just like ups the tension and like makes the story more interesting. So a lot of like, experienced power by the apocalypse players love failures more than oh oh i got a 10 plus i did it oh, okay great <laughs> um so they're just really fun specific ones i'd love to like recommend are masks which is um by magpie games um very very accessible awesome game super easy to pick up um it's based on team uh teen superheroes mm. so basically if you're familiar with teen titans anything like that uh like all those types of teams it it captures that brilliantly um, and like the kind of the drama involved in it and like, oh, you're a hero, but you also have to get to school. So how do you balance your superhero life? Or, you know, oh, you're an alien from another planet. You don't fit in at all. Like, how are you going to make your life? So it, th the cool thing about Powered by the Apocalypse games, for the most part, most of them have what are called playbooks. So you don't sit and like stat out your character. You pick, oh, hey, this is the trope I want to play. And then you go through the playbook and kind of customize it and make it unique. Um, so it's great for beginners because you can be like, hey, Teen Titans, who do you want to play? Oh, I want to be Robin. Okay, that's this playbook. You know, you could play something similar to him. You know, oh, I want to be, you know, a, a, a weird alien with green eyes like Starfire. Okay, well, this, this is the outsider. You know, you get to decide, like, 
maybe you're from another planet, maybe you were made in a lab, whatever. So there's all these tropes. So it's really easy for, for people to kind of glom onto something that they love and are passionate about and jump right into the game. Mm -hmm. And it also does a lot of handholding with um, backstory creation and things like that. You get moves. So it's not like, oh, uh, what can I do? It's like, pick one of the moves. It's like a little menu, like, oh, I'm going to use this and like zap them or whatever. So it's, it's very, um, quick setup and very beginner friendly for the most part. Um, another one I love to call out is it's not widely available right now is uh, demigods. It kickstarted and is still like in the process. And it's basically like, if you like Percy Jackson or American gods, it's like the perfect game for you. Cause you get to be like, I am the child of so, you know, you get to pick any deities you can possibly come up with anywhere in the world or not the world. One of my favorite concepts was um, I played the daughter of science and basically the belief of human belief brings deities into, into being. So there's so many people who believe in science, even though they don't completely understand it, it became like their own pantheon. So they hate that they exist because it means people don't understand science, but they exist because people don't understand science. Anyway, it's just this, this layers upon layers of super fun things to role play and get to be cool things. So those are the two games I always recommend for people who are like just jumping in and it's super fun. I love it. Very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, because I don't have the breadth of experience that you guys have, like probably the game that I enjoy or the system that I enjoy most that wasn't D&D was still a 3.5 D20 based system, which is Babylon 5. I'm a huge Babylon 5 fan. I liked the fact that they went from a standpoint of this is not a game that should reward people killing each other like D&D does. And so the like sort of experience system was based more on encounters, but the encounters don't have to be combat encounters. They have to be about just resolving a conflict. And that can be with NPCs, that can be with something that you have to kill. But that was really downplayed. And it was a very... It was very much like sort of like trying to customize those rules towards like the idea of this is a diplomacy kind of game. Uh, and even though my first experience with it was, you know, not necessarily a success. Uh, <laughs> I like the system. I like the idea. I want to play it again. They actually have updated rules uh, that towards the end of the 3.5 system that uh, I haven't gotten to play with, even though I have the books and I want to do that. But it's one of those things where I just don't have the time. Um, Himba, so. his arms wide. <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, I'd recommend people checking it out if you can find it online. It's out of print. Um, but uh, but yeah the d20 uh babylon 5 game was pretty good um but uh final question favorite gaming experience and with sort of the mindset of you know why why if somebody's listening to this they're not a gamer they never played a pen and paper game what 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 is the experience that you're like this experience was so much fun this is the kind of thing that you can do in in a game and this is why it would be fun for you to try um so kimmy uh do you have something the that you can give for uh, that yeah i have so many but, but the one that always stands out for me is um for happy jacks we've done a bunch of actual plays and one of the things we've done is um we've done three separate legend of the five ring campaigns and for those of you who don't know legend of the five, five rings is fantasy but it's based on like asian traditions rather than european traditions so you're playing um in a mythical land called rokugan um and it's very similar to like japanese and different things uh traditions 
but we're playing this game and we've actually now we've played one set of characters and then we've played their descendants now because we've been playing for so long mm. um so each each campaign was kind of its own like generation um and the our our gm Stu, just did such a fantastic job like that first campaign was just like nailed every moment like just like like the campaign that like legends and stories are told about like that was it was like 12 years ago we played that game and it's still something we talk about regularly but in that campaign we we played ronin who were who who oh no that was later sorry uh we we played members of what's called the crane clan and we were each given um when we you know got did something super good which i won't just in case anyone wants to go listen to it um <laughs> you know we all were given um very special uh, katanas by our damio so it was kind of like a big moment at the end it was very like um, emotional we'd been playing this game for a super long time it was kind of like the culmination of everything and then in this other campaign like generations later we our characters were given those swords because our character or past characters had obviously been like gone for a long time because it was like years and years and years later so they were all passed away um and I just remember that I, that being like each of us, we were all the same players being given one of the swords and all of us being like, oh, hey, that was my sword. like, like it was just such an amazing moment that had all this history for us, even though like it was kind of like, a, I don't know, anyone else there would have been like, it's a sword. And all of us were like, oh, no, this is the sword that like it just had so much weight and history. And I just at that moment, like, again, for so many reasons, realized like what this shared storytelling builds among French, you know, in a friendship group or builds in your uh, just consciousness of, of, of possibility. And like, the, there was so much emotional connection with us getting these swords, um, even though our characters didn't really understand how important it was. That was just one of the coolest moments ever. Yeah, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from on that. Because yeah, like once that like, once you feel the epicness of it, you know, once you feel like that, that's like something that you can get from this shared storytelling that you can't get from anything else. Uh, Mark, what about you? Well, um, I, I'm always a GM and never a player. So uh, I don't have a lot of uh, uh, this one time when I was playing story that that's not kind of a little disaster. Um, cause there's, cause you know, when I get a chance to play, there's almost always something else or somebody else at the table that, that makes it not as much fun for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, but gaming, uh, with, uh, groups, um, yeah, I, there's, I'll tell you what's, why, it, why, when it works, when it, when it works, it's, it's, it, it's funny to me how you how we all sort of give up and agree uh on this this like willing suspension of disbelief um and it creates a very um a very liminal space for uh us to you know project a, a character uh, or a, a persona uh, into it, and and it creates a little reality. It creates this little pocket universe that 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 um, is very special because it's all it's just us at the table, 
you know, we, we, we're, 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 we're building this thing together and, and it doesn't exist except in our heads. And, you know, the, the meta behind that is my version of Farrington is not the same as everybody else's version of Farrington. So even though I've described the city in some detail, if I ask them to draw Farrington, they're all going to draw something different. Hmm. You know, it'll still have the things in it that I said, but it's very different. So, so it's both universal and personal at the same time. And so when I introduce something into this space and, and it resonates with everybody else that that's playing it, that is, it, it, it's very satisfaction, satisfying to me. And also I, and I usually don't always know when that's going to be until I hear them making jokes about this, you know, thing that happened three or four sessions ago, and it becomes part of their, their lingo, you know, it becomes part of their, uh, their conversation, you know, uh, I need to, I need to go, I need to go to the tailors is a, is its own little, like like in joke you know that contributes to the group patois i think it's i think it's fascinating um you know i will and i will say this as a gm you never know what the players are going to care about you just really you and you can't ever think that you do um the i i created they needed early on in the last big thing we were doing um they uh somebody needed a cloak he didn't have a cloak uh it got lost in the funnel whenever he was tr swimming to shore he had to he had to kick off all of his other stuff he wanted a cloak fair enough so i just for some strange reason decided to make um an npc on the fly that was going to be the tailor uh in this little sleepy seaport town and i wanted him to be a little bit more colorful than all of the dra drab gray environments. So I made a character that wasn't Greek or Italian, but kind of somewhere in the middle there. And he was flamboyant and he, he talked, you know, rapidly and, and full of emotion. And, uh, and the players, I, as soon as I real, as soon as I did the, the bit, I saw all of their eyes light up. I said, Hey, I need a cloak too. Yeah. I, I should, I should go find some pants. And so now I've got them all in the, in the tailor shop and they spent an hour uh, role-playing with me and me role-playing with them and uh, doing it in character. And uh, they didn't have any, any money when it was all left, but they left with great clothes and, and yeah, we got to go back. Yeah. We got to go back to that tailor. Yeah. Crystals was fun. Oh, we got to do that. And so you just never know, you know um, you know, down the road, I can, I can, I can mention Christos and, and, and they'll all go, Oh, remember the time when he was doing the, you know, so I, that's, uh, that's part of the fun is that uh, you can't ever always know what the, where the story's going to go or where it's going to take you, but it does create these wonderful shared experiences, these personal in jokes and these funny little stories. Um, and, uh, and, and also, you know, sometimes the defeats, and the and the the crazy things are um just as uh powerful as the the triumphs you know uh uh how badly we screwed up and nearly all died uh they'll you know they'll tell that story with the same intensity 
as dude, I almost got into a wreck coming home. This truck almost got, you know, it's the same. It's the emotions, the same. And so that's, Oh yes. (laughs) The legends and and the stories that people tell to other people like, no, seriously, this is what happened. And it's just like, you're telling your story about your own life. It's, it's amazing. Um, all right. So Sean, Sean, Miguel us. Okay. So um, first off, I wanted to play off of something that Mark said, which was, um, you know, your, your failures can sometimes be as fun as your successes. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the episode that my friend Christina became infamous for dying because she would just get a wild hair up her, uh, <laughs> up her butt from time to time and just want to go and do something and just see what would happen. You know, she she really was the person who said, okay, I know that dynamite blows up when you light it on fire, but what happens if it doesn't this time? And, and most of the time she would get blown up as a result. Um, but it was something that she started to take devious glee with. And that was something that she enjoyed as a player. She actually was like, I'm going to play this to the extreme of whatever the character I'm building is. If I'm a rogue, that's always trying to be sneaky i'm going to always try to be sneaky and if i get caught i get killed if i'm a barbarian who's just going to like blow through the door and kill whatever on the other side i'm going to do it every time and that was the fun for her and in many times it got her eradicated um to the point where when her final character got near the end of our story she was surprised that it had lived at that point i think that particular character had lived for like 13 months in the real world which was like the longest she had had a character live. <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, I'm going to finish with this character. And then she got real protective over it. Like, I don't want it to die. I want the character to make it to the I, end. I feel like I should interject just really quickly. Sean is not the kind of GM that sets out to kill players. Like he's not no. that guy. So if Christina is dying this often, this really is on her. This isn't Sean being a jerk or whatever. No, I, I'm not. Now, now, with that said, Nathan also should have the caveat that I also don't reward stupid. Right. Um, which is if you play with dynamite and you keep lighting on fire, I will let it blow up in your hand. So because, again, I believe, you know, and, and Nathan clearly, as we talked about this, um, ha- has taken this to heart, which is players should be allowed to make their own choices for good or for bad. They should be allowed to make these choices. And these choices will sometimes come back with excellent decisions and sometimes they'll come back with bad decisions. So let me get to. I, I have three examples, and I'm going to tee it up so perfectly, Nathan's going to love this, okay? The first example is actually a game that I was a player in. And Nathan, you were actually there with us. Um, I had created a character called Lantian, mm-hmm. who was uh, in our friend's Bill game, uh, our friend uh, Bill's game. And we had been playing that particular D&D session more or less for about two years or so. Mm-hmm. And it was this big epic story. And Lantian was unique in our group because Lantian was a psionic. And if anybody's ever played D&D, you know, psionics are broken as hell. And this was AD&D, just, by the way. This was yeah, not we in the later editions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill was playing like old school AD&D because he wanted to bring Faco back. And I'm like, you son of a <laughs> And I'm like, fine, we'll play with Faco, you know. So I'm still confused what I was rolling at any given time. I'm saying, right? You know, (laughs) so we're playing the game. And so one of the things that that was part of the story is that if you were psionic, you were basically uh, 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 like you you were you were just a a minority of a minority of minority. And, And they were coming after you like they were actively trying to kill off psionics in this world. And so my whole goal was to basically create an empire that would be a place where psionics could have safe haven. That was like my 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 through line for that story um, to the point where we got to the end of that game and I was able to somewhat affect that idea. 
So Bill liked the idea that I had been doing for a while, which was everything has consequences. Your choices that you make in story A will resonate in story B, will resonate in story C, and so on. And you build a rich tapestry in history. So he continued playing in that world with other players. So year and a half after we finish off that game, I get a text message from Bill. Hey, uh, my players are in your world, are in your kingdom. They're, they're screwing around, and they're about to find out who they're messing with. And I was like, okay, what do you need from me? And he said, I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. And as the ruler of this kingdom, you need to tell me how you're going to respond. So he would tell me what would happen. And then I would respond. And he was like, okay, cool. And then he would go and he'd play a couple more game sessions. He's like, okay, they just did this. And I was like, okay, well, this is my response. And they would then go off and do something else to the point where they basically became enemies of the state. And so Lantian, as Nathan knows, is not a person who sits back and lets people do his dirty work for him. He will try and go and 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 head the problem off at the pass. So Lantian was like, okay, well, I got to go deal with this now. So we made a very special game session where I drove down to Savannah to play Bill's game. And I show up basically almost kind of like how Gandalf the Grey would show up sometimes on Lord of the Rings as the wandering stranger and nobody knew he was Gandalf. And then he would be like, bam, I'm Gandalf. It was one of those moments, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of talking to them and they have no idea who they're messing with. And what they don't realize is that I basically lured them into a killing box where they're in a valley and on all sides of the valley, every single army that I could muster is waiting for them. And I am giving them every opportunity to stop what they're trying to do. And Bill knows this. Bill knows that my character is, has maxed out level-wise. I'm an epic level character. They're at best level eight, level nine. I could sweep them. I could just crush them on my own. And, and, and I know this. I'm looking at my character sheet. Bill knows this. And I am playing this like, you really don't want to do this. You want to turn around. You want to go back home. You know? And, and these players are just absolutely, no, we are going to go do this. And, and we are going to go do the thing that we absolutely are going to go do. Because, and, 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 and for some back history for a second, the reason this all came to be was because these guys were basically playing kind of Mark's uh, 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 dreaded character uh, 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 types, which were chaotic and evilish characters. So these were not good guy characters. These were characters who were selfish and or embracing evil. And Lantian was chaotic neutral at best. So for Lantian to actually notice you, you know you're screwing up, okay? So <laughs> at this particular moment, these guys are like, well, screw you. We're going to do what we're going to do anyways. And I'm like, fine. If that's how it's going to be, I'm Lantian. I'm the guy who you've been trying to come after. I'm the king of blah, blah, blah. And you need to put down your weapons now. I'm going to execute you. And when this reveal happens, they all look at Bill. And Bill's like, don't look at me. You guys did this. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, yeah, this is actually a real player. And like, this is a real you know, character. And you screwed up. And you've been playing for one full year in the real world, screwing with this guy's stuff. He showed up. And they're like, wait a minute, no, this guy's like real. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's my character. And you've been screwing with my shit. And, and, and it's time to pay the piper. And so <laughs> they're like, okay, so we were going to start combat. And I'm like, yeah. And again, I want to remind you, psionics are completely broken in AD&D. So my psionic character at level 20, whatever the hell I'm at, had like 14 freaking actions before they could do one thing. And I just wiped the damn table with them. And so then I, they're, they're all on the ground and they're, they're, they're basically bleeding out. And they're all whatnot. And I'm like, you know what? This is too, this, it is not honorable for me to kill you. 
but it doesn't mean I have to save you. And I basically signal for my armies to just kind of come in and finish off the job. And I leave. And I was like, Bill, this is going to take a while for you guys to do. I got to get home to Laura. So I'm going to go now. So he's like, cool. So I give him a hug and I leave the house and I go home. And Bill later on texts me that my armies have decimated their group and they're all pissed off at me. <laughs> so I literally walked in, played the game, basically said, I'm not going to kill you. And I literally left and I didn't even see the aftermath. They were just, they were like, oh, we hate that Sean guy. That Sean guy sucks. <laughs> I can just see game. Bill sitting there watching this and just like the expression on his face, just like the sort of smug you know, like expression. <laughs> he was so happy because this was something that he had desperately tried to talk them out of, and they kept going. And Bill is in the same school uh, uh, that kind of like I taught you, which is let the players make their choices, and even if they're stupid choices, if they're going to do it, let them do it. And and <laughs> he just was able to then pull them into this thing where he was like, "All right, you 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 chose this, you chose violence." And so Violet showed up. So it was it was a pretty freaking cool moment as a player. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. It, it was, and it's not even something I did. I just got to participate in it. Right. It was. It like that was one of the cool things because I'm usually the I'm usually the puppet master. I'm usually the one who's making the weird things happen. And I was to a degree of I was responding as a player who was more or less an NPC. But they thought it was incredibly unfair. The players were like, "This is bull crap. But this should never happen." And and he was like, "Look, man." He goes, "How many times do you get to bring back a legacy character who has leveled completely out to the point of being boss level NPC? You know, the final boss battle." And, and you pissed him off enough where he's going to come out of this freaking castle and, and face you down before you're remotely prepared for him. You know, like he, he was like, it was just too good. You guys asked for it like you literally did. But later on, if I recall correctly, their ancestors or their descendants eventually overthrow me because Lantian lives to be, you know, God awful old. You're like, he's, you know, he, he almost becomes kind of like the God King of, of 40K where like, he's just kind of like constantly keeping himself alive through stuff. And he goes bad because Bill's like, can I make you evil? And I was like, yeah, I've been around for a few centuries at this point. Right. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm clearly evil now. I was like, nobody it, it keeps that much power and doesn't go eventually bad. I was like, yeah, so I'm bad now. Go for it. So then he got to officially, they, they got their comeuppance or I got my comeuppance way down the line when I was officially a bad character. But when they met me, I was not evil. Um, and I got to do that, but it was it, it was delightful. So, but that was as a player my favorite experience. Um, second favorite experience uh, would be the throwing the giant bird off the side of a mountain story. Oh yeah, um, but you already I, you did tell that story in the first. I did uh, tell that story. Yes. That that was one of those moments that I will always remember. Throwing the giant bird off the side of the mountain will always be one of my most favorite moments because that was when I had to come up with just rules ad hoc on yeah. the fly for how we're going to make this happen. Um, and that Passed was kind of an hang glider and use Eldridge Blatches. Seriously, the, uh, you know, like, just, <laughs> just, you know, like, okay, this is how this is going to happen, you know? And, 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 and that was always one of those great moments that I loved because it really showed that when you have a group of players together who just love playing together, you know, again, the rules don't matter. You can find a way to make things happen. And the third and final story would be the infamous beach trip nathan okay. <laughs> yeah so okay so so just to to sort of give the background this was probably my third gaming experience i had played like a regular mechton z game with sean first i had played mage second 
the White Wolf also game with Mage. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and 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 honestly, I had not been very satisfied with those two. I mean, it was fun enough, and you know, my friends were there and everything, but I because I didn't understand what I was doing, and you know, it was kind of like, especially with the Mechton game, because I came in after everybody else had been playing for a while, and I kind of just got handed a character sheet that wasn't like my character sheet, and and it was one of those things where it was just kind of like I'm playing this, but I don't really like it that much, and you know, like because I I just seemed ineffectual. And that was the problem. But with the beach trip and sort of the first outing of Brave Epic uh, for our group, you know, I was there from the ground up. I was able to read Sean's rules. I was able to sort of like look at everything. And sort of the idea of Brave Epic is that this, this magical thing had happened that had transformed the science fiction world into a magical world. And so the thing that I wanted to do more than anything is I wanted to play medieval Batman. That was like the thing that I was like, I want to be like, if Batman existed in a fantasy world, that is the character that I want to be. And so um, uh, there was a class that Sean created called a justice. That's sort of like a lawful neutral version of a paladin. Like if you were thinking of D&D terms, because it's somebody that's basically like a vigilante that goes out and just enforces law, like Judge Dredd, but in a fantasy exactly. setting. Right. Um, that's a better analogy. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I had my book of the law instead of like a buckler on one arm and I had my sword in another and I was like, yeah. So like literally, like it was like, for those of you who can't imagine, like literally the way we described the book of the law, the book of the law was so thick and was so, uh, 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 strapped in with metal. He could literally use it as a shield because it had been worked over. It was like a leather buckler. So he could actually block with the book of the law as a shield. <laughs> like it was a, it was an actual shield that he could then open up and point to why he was going to execute you. <laughs> and he'd beat you with it if you wanted to so yeah that was fun <laughs> but the other great thing is that we had the session zero and so I was able to come up with this very elaborate backstory um you know invented this villain you know uh this this guy that raker just wanted to find that he needed to kill this guy to starry creel well so this is the great thing about this whole well there's a few great things about this first of all another great thing is sometimes the dm doesn't know what he's saying and he gives you something that he wasn't because <laughs> the first well, thing is so mundane but right. it's so so sean had intended for me to have 100 feet of rope but when he wrote oh. it on my sheet he wrote 100 yards of rope those are very different things so <laughs> very different lengths <laughs> so there's a scene that happens during the very early in the game we're in this town we're on the outskirts of the town and a gigantic sandworm like from dune swallows the the town and there's this coal and i say sean how deep is the hole and you're like oh it's like uh, 150 feet or whatever and i'm like oh great i have 100 yards of rope because right. we were in a de oh that was the other thing i should explain we were in a desert and so it was like we're not sure if we can make it to the next town one of our characters was uh, a water breather and right. so we were like we're really worried about him <laughs> so so sean had intended for us to make the journey across the desert but i had more rope than he thought that i had <laughs> so we were able to go down and and this is the fun thing sean does not look stressed Sean does not look like anything's wrong. We just see him flipping through books as we're talking, you know, like writing stuff down on a sheet of paper and whatever. Okay. We find out later. Like, so we did this whole thing. We fought 
basically elithids down there we like had this whole you know we had this whole thing this whole scenario with you know maze and elithids and all kinds of stuff turns out all that was just shot on the fly like crap that's not what i planned for at all and it was so much fun that we got to do that and that was just because of that experience the, the, the fact that he two days yards of, of planning out the <laughs> damn window now now for for context here the beach trip was an annual thing that we would do which my parents as we were getting older when we got to be about 16 or 17 my parents would say hey you know we have this little beach house it's basically just a trailer a camper um but you know they're like you, you you've done good at school or you know you're, you've been responsible if you and a couple of friends want to go down and just kind of hang out at the beach for a couple of days you could do that so they would allow me to go down for like four or five days just with my buddies and we could you know go and just kind of like be teenagers and so because we're geeky teenagers were like what if we did like a epic five day long role-playing game and we would basically sleep wake up role play eat some food role play go out at night come back role play whatever the hell like we were at a beach with people who were in bikinis and like tourist trap stuff who cares we're role playing for five days straight with no adult supervision three o'clock in the morning we're raising hell 6 a.m we're tired let's go to sleep 3 p.m let's get up and get some food let's play some more role-playing games it, I, I, only geeky nerds could do this right i mean seriously <laughs> just the stupidest but whatever that's that was how we played right and so this was like the third or the fourth year that we were doing this like we were like going to college now and, and so it was a little bit more difficult for us to all get together so i wanted to make sure that this was a big epic story because i didn't know how many more times we were going to have getting together like this and i think we only did one more beach trip after this so this was like the penultimate beach trip for us and i think it was actually our largest group i think at that what was it, it was 10 total right uh, i believe it's eight uh, it was an eight. Okay, so there was eight. So then, including me, it was nine then. Yeah. Because I remember it was an even group when when the split happened, which I'm sure we're building up to. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we we everybody had a chance to kind of figure out what was going on with Brave Epic, and they were able to figure out their backstory. And most of the people's backstories were fairly straightforward. I'm a pacifist. I'm a this. I'm a that. Whatever. Um, some of them got a little interesting with their backstories, like they wanted to be. I, I came up with like these angelic kind of characters that you could be. Um, which comes into play later on. Uh, uh, and then, of course, Nathan has his Batman, you know, but medieval character. So he had his justice. And um, so, again, he's trying to find this guy called the Starry Creel. And I was like, that's what you want to do? He's like, yeah. And I was like, cool. And so I was like, what if? And then I kind of, we have a conversation. And I was like, what if you don't know this particular dark secret well no no no, you didn't tell me see that's what i was going to get to was the other right, really right. exciting thing is i find out just like my character doesn't know i find out in the game that 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 the guy i'm looking for is actually me but i've forgotten yeah. right <laughs> so yes yeah, so basically I, we, I was freaking out when you were doing that i was like sean we, we need to talk and you were like shut up you know like, right, people, right. like not you didn't say shut up but like you just said like mentioned like don't give anything away to the players because i found out before they did you know right. but yeah there's basically this whole thing where i'm talking to him and i was like but you have a secret he's like okay what's the secret i was like i'll tell you about the secret later so but i was like i'm going to give you a secret that's going to come into play later on. i was like okay fine and so of course you know you're, you're, you're 18 years old you forget about the secret and you play in this character basically 24 hours a day for three days straight and like on the fourth day I start to reveal kind of like, yeah, the reason why you're this person who is dedicated to the law and will follow the letter of the law without any question is because if you're Batman, you used to be Joker and you drove yourself sane. Yeah, I mean, and basically, now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
and and now and and but Nathan doesn't know this, and so Nathan finds out, and then the players find out, and like half the reason they're on this game is to find this jerk, the Starry Creel, and they're like, wait, he's in the party, he's the he's Batman. They're like, what the hell? And then right after that, I pull the rug out from under everybody because they're all trying to find essentially this evil. Okay, he's basically darkness from legend. Let's just cut the crap. Okay, he, he's essentially darkness, right? And so what's one of the big things that darkness does in legend? He tries to corrupt the innocent. So I Yeah, because everybody... so basically how, how we segued right. in with the story is it was my brother, right, Desaad, right, right. who was the guy who was now summoning the evil. It wasn't right. me, but that's how we sort of led it from that right. to to him. Yeah, and so yes, yes, yes summoning summoning evil basically. So they, they basically summon evil, and so evil gets summoned, and so here's evil. They're like, okay, evil is here, and evil is is sexy, and evil is is cool, and evil is fun, and evil makes a very compelling argument. And I said, characters, make your choice. Do you accept the deal or do you reject the deal? Now. As a DM, as the storyteller at this point, I fully expect the group to say yes or no. And I have prepared options for yes or no. Nathan, tell them what happened. Half and half. <laughs> half the party said yes and half said no. Literally half. No planning, no anything. None of us, like, basically, like, like half the people were just like, yeah, like, that sounds great. And the other half of us were like, no like i don't want that and so then suddenly the game became really interesting because sean sent us out of the room while he talked to the ones who chose evil and then we flipped because it became like a thing where it was just like now like we like the center can't hold right like i mean like we're we're, we're two different groups of people in this game and and because it was a big enough thing and because we were at the beach and because we had nothing else to do, I mean, I mean, we could have gone to the beach, but I mean, like we were doing like role playing 24 seven, basically we, we could, we could do this, but it was something where it's like, yeah, we, we all had to have downtime. We sort of switched out. We played video games while the other people were like doing stuff with Sean and, and we got into this whole thing of like, it, it's going to come down, but, but the, see the bad guys, they got power ups. They did. We, they we did. didn't that get was... power ups. <laughs> I was such a jerk. Okay, this one I legitimately like. I look back on it, and I I think that's my one true regret is that I should have found a way to have some kind of benevolent thing happen to the people who chose to be good. Like I really wish I would have done that, but because the because I had planned for them to either be you're, you're going to be good or you're going to be bad, and the bad guy was right there. I was like, bad guys always get the cool stuff, right? Like look at Cobra from GI Joe. Cobra always had the cool tech, right? G.I. Joe just looked like guys in fatigues. Cobra had the cool jets. They had the cool outfits. So I was like, I got to make the bad guys look cooler. So the guy who was an angel gets bat wings and he gets like, you know, like this wicked freaking blade. Were they like, like metal, like Archangel and X-Men? Like he got metallic that, bat wings or something? They, they it was just, crazy. They were just awesome. Yeah, they were just awesome looking, you know? <laughs> like crazy stuff, right? And so like... They're, they're like I, I I like give them all these power ups and like the good characters are like we're totally screwed, and they had to kind of role play their way out of it. Like you know, so like there are these two conflicting paths, and so because this is an epic five six day long affair, in the middle of our trip, all of a sudden everybody chose a side, and so then it was like okay, we're going to stop playing now. Let's go out and get some food, and so at the dinner table, 
the good players would only sit and talk with the good players and the bad players would only sit and talk with the bad players. There were two vehicles also, and we split yes. along lines. <laughs> Conversations about each other, like that son of a bitch chose good. I hate him because he's evil. You know, it like, I'm like, I split my friends into two. I didn't, this was not my choice. I did not do this. This was not my purpose. And I was sad because my friends were a little pissed at each other. And I could not stop this thing from unfurling. All right, but, but the here's the thing. Happening. Here's the thing. I think it was all in good fun. And it was all in good fun until we got to the final scenario. And so now let's skip forward to the final day. And and one of the characters who chose good was basically a wizard. I forget what you called them in your world, but he was a wizard. And he was a pacifist. And so his thing, because once uh, what happened was that basically like, like more of like the evil gods had been summoned or whatever and now even like the bad people were like oh no like we're screwed too like they're gonna like kill us and so this this character named thad i remember he named him thad um he walks up to the group the other group the evil group and he says We've got to work together. You know, he does like the thing of like, now we have to work together, you know, expecting like, hey, let's all work together. And the, the angel character who has the big epic sword, like the sword that's as big as he is, just yes. goes thunk and splits him in two. One hit. L literally splits him in two. And by the way, for those of you who can't see Mark is holding his face in his hands right now, just like, oh my God. And by the way, this weapon, so the character's a pacifist. He's a magic user. He's not used any defensive spells. Thad, our, our buddy Robbie, um, yeah. uh, ha has come to the group and, and, and has said, I'm a pacifist. I'm not going to fight. We have to work together. And so he is being as altruistic as humanly possible. And so he has nothing up to protect himself because he's hoping to convince them with the power of his righteousness. And Kevin, who is playing the evil angel character, is like, well, I'm not going to do that. If I'm playing a bad character, I'm going to split him in two with my giant sword buster sword, like from Final Fantasy VII. And he rolls his damage, and his damage is just, like, so overwhelmingly, like, because there was no magical defenses up that the characters killed in one hit. Thunk, literally split in half. And the line that shall live in infamy, I'm going to go play PlayStation. <laughs> Yes, so Robbie gets up and has to leave the room because that was the run world at the end of the at the end of the night was okay. We're at the final scene. You guys are going to have to either fight together or whatnot. But as your characters get killed off, you're going to have to leave the room um, because we want you to feel like there's actual loss happening. And I was like, and I'm expecting everybody to die within like a turn or two of each other. I'm not expecting for one jerk to kill another player in the very first moment of the role-playing part of it before we're really even getting into combat and to just jump over any negotiations and just go, Foom. and I'm like, oh, damn it. So that's how it starts. Right. Four players on three players. And the four players who are up a guy are also the bad characters who have the power-ups. Nathan, yeah. please continue. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was messed up because, like, the two girls that we had with us, they were best friends, and they were, like, <laughs> faced off against each other. And and so there were all these crazy <laughs> dynamics going on. But, but, but really, long story short, because, I mean, we did, even though we didn't get power-ups, we did find one benevolent deity, Sean. We found the god of speed, if you yes. recall. And the I god did. of speed helped us out. So basically, at the end, it is just me, my justice, and Kevin and his super angel that I cannot hit. Like literally, I cannot, even if I hit him, I do no damage. Yes. So, um, but I have to keep dodging. 
because he's attacking me and in, in, in the in the rules of brave epic which took from mecton you have to roll for your dodge i literally have to roll a 10 it's the only way that i can avoid his attack i rolled seven tens in a row that night seven on a d10 seven tens in a row like like the people who had gone to play playstation came back in the room because of all the yelling that was happening like they like no one could believe it like i couldn't believe it <laughs> honestly god at this point i'm not even doing anything it's just kevin <laughs> versus nathan i'm just watching chaos waiting to tell them how the game ends because this is no longer my game this is a vendetta between friends basically like i'm just watching like seriously like i felt like jerry springer when he's trying to get to people to fight where he's like here's a knife do something with the knife and they're just trying to stab each other over and over again and i'm just watching it and i'm like oh my and it just like you know i'm just you know they're like jerry jerry and i'm just i'm i'm watching this chaos unfurl and i will admit there's a part of my brain that goes look at the destruction that i have wrought you know like i mean there is a bit of a i had no idea this is how it was going to happen but how could i ever have planned for this it's so amazing what is happening and uh so nathan what was the ultimate outcome yeah, so the ultimate so basically the thing was i just had to keep it going and it didn't look like it was possible because again this is all dice rolls like sean did nothing at this point it was all dice rolls i just had to keep things going until the god of speed could basically like take the thing that she needed that would like destroy kevin's character and like it was going to take like a certain number of turns and again it, it didn't seem possible that i could hold out that long and i did and so finally at the end, oh, he did cut off my arm. That is the one thing he did. He did because yeah, it was rules arm. that yes. allowed for like a damage to a particular part of the body. But I survived. <laughs> I survived did you, the impossible did you really, odds. Did we anyone? <laughs> good one against all possible. And the thing is, because of the way the game is structured, it really was like overcoming impossible odds because they were like seven tens in a row. How do you roll seven tens in a row? I don't, I, I haven't done the math, but I mean, that's, that's astronomical, right? And so, <laughs> so anyway, it, 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 that is the experience. I mean, I'm not going to guarantee that anyone who plays like a game, role-playing game will have something where they roll statistically like unlikely thing that often, but like, that's the kind of thing that can happen. And that's the kind of thing that generates the stories that get people excited because of stuff like that, because of the interplay, because of the uniqueness of what could happen based on just all of us just making choices and then getting to the where even the mechanics were fun because at that point, you know, something happened that shouldn't have happened. And it's just like if you're the hero that doesn't have anything like and you were able to overcome the, you know, the farmer who overcame the giant or whatever, you know, like David and Goliath, I guess, you know, yeah. like that, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, like that, and from then on, it was like, gaming is my thing. That is the thing that made it like, this is an experience that I couldn't have any other way, you know? So that, that, that is my, that is my ultimate gaming story. <laughs> and the best part was, is, is that as soon as it was done, as soon as the story concluded, everybody went back to normal everybody was right. like oh my god yeah, there's no amazing. bad blood that carried over was, to any of that there was no bad blood there was no negativity everybody was back on the same page and then the question started okay how much of that did you plan and then i'm starting to tell them and they're like well what about this and i'm like completely made it up and they're like what about that and i was like shooting off the cuff of my pants <laughs> like how much actually of the story that you wrote down made it into the final game and i was like 10 percent 
Yeah. Like the rest of it was completely on. Uh, like we were literally walking. Like we actually went to the beach. It was tradition that at the end of the game, we would go to the beach and we would actually go to the beach and we would talk kind of like there. And it was usually like the sun was coming up kind of kind of thing. And we're, mm-hmm. we're yeah, sitting was, here all kind of. Yeah. And the sun is coming up. And basically, I'm kind of like laying bare all the story elements that were supposed to happen that just got completely thrown out and what I came up with and, and all this stuff. And I was like, you guys, like for the last four and a half days, I've been sweating bullets because. <laughs> You know, like because you guys just completely screwed me from the from the beginning of reaching the lightning town all the way to the end. I have just been I have been jumping through like I've been going to sleep going like, how the hell am I going to finish this game in five days or whatever that however long we were there? I think it was five days we were there. Yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, it was like Monday through Friday. I think. That's, yeah, yeah. And like on, on like literally halfway through the first day, you guys completely screwed me. And I have been just ad living. You know, I've been pulling every movie reference I could think of, every novel I've read, every comic book I could think of. And I've just put into a puree and whatever's coming out the other end. That's what we're going with. It was every anime, every every time I played with my action figures. As a you, were, kid. you were you were Doctor Zarkov from Flash Gordon. Even a oh, song man. from the Beatles. It armored me, girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, things away. It, it was everything in me, and it really is one of my proudest moments. Of okay, this is what happened, and 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 the interesting part is that many times in the past I have played that 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 idea of you could choose between good and evil. Like I, that's something I like to do with my characters is that I like to. Uh, uh, as I'm building story, give them an opportunity to flip, you know, give them an opportunity to see these are what the real risks are. And never had it come down one time. And, and honestly, I knew Kevin was going to pick bad no matter what, because I had given him that opportunity one time before in a previous game. And that jerk chose evil and everybody else chose good. And they immediately turned on him and they killed him. And he had to bring in a new character, which was at worst what I thought was going to happen. I never would have picked half and half. Right. Right, that game couldn't but, have been that way unless it was no. equal. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and I don't know if other DMs would have let that happen. I don't know if DMs would have let a protracted schism occur in the group like that, where, okay, you guys have to leave the room, and now I have to play with these guys for an hour. And then, you know, I, that was a, the... It, the thing that fun. I was just talking about, the big last campaign that I did, one of the warlocks in the game, uh, his patron was the king in yellow. And oh God! Okay, fair the enough. King in Yellow's his plan was to basically uh, set up everything so that Carcosa could materialize uh, and 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 take over Farrington. Basically, you know, uh, the the Carcosa would would bleed up from from nil space mm-hmm. and and convert the town into Carcosa, the city. And uh, once the player kind of figured out that that's what was what he, he was one of the people being asked to do this uh he realized that he had he had the ability to to ask for more but also he had a responsibility uh uh side note um uh, i knew it at some point that he was going to meet the king in yellow face to face and uh so i don't know why i decided to do this but I had the King in Yellow being played by um, Don uh, from the Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, um, which is a which is one of the it was their imitation of Lauren Michaels. Mm. Uh, so he he's a Doctor Evil sounding kind of a guy, very mundane, you know. Uh, and so I I did that 
for the the king in yellow and and they didn't think it was funny i thought it was hysterical they did not think it was funny they thought it was a, kind of terrifying and so uh that was a, a quick lesson about how old the kids in the hall's brain candy is and why i shouldn't reference it uh to people under the age of 35 but um when he he was trying to figure out how to get out from under the king in yellow's influence and um eventually they uh they used the deck of many things to thwart the king in yellow and then destroyed the deck and the last thing that the king in yellow said before he took away all of his warlock powers was you know i had such high hopes for you and uh that was it but i I it, it initially wasn't like that. This is the thing. I, I the whole time you're telling the story, my my I keep thinking in my head, never let him see you sweat. You right. Know, players never should never know just how much tap dancing you're doing to stay on the head of that pin. Yep. And uh so you know there some of the best decisions and some of the coolest outcomes and some of the most interesting story elements come from me having to force myself to be two moves ahead of whatever the chuckleheads are doing at the table, you know? And so, uh, um, but yeah, I love those larger moral questions. And it was nice to see that my players as murder hoboey as they could be uh, balked at the idea of all of these innocent people uh, being, uh, you know, turned into puppets for the amusement of uh, the, the court of Carcosa. So you know remember uh, we coined the term murder or kenny i think coined the term murder tourists murder tourists <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not pretty much hobos. i mean that's murder yeah. tourists <laughs> but um you know nathan there was actually one other uh story that i just thought of okay, okay can you make is, it quick though <laughs> i am i am okay. gonna make it quick and it's actually it has nothing to do with any system or it has nothing to do with any particular um uh, 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 uh pro or con it was actually a system that i made up pretty much from scratch um that was based on a um villains and vigilantes heroes incorporated kind of system um and uh, i think you played it with us i, I it might have been after you stopped coming to the monthly games but i did something called proud americans mm. did you ever play that with us no i wasn't yeah i didn't play that one so proud americans was this idea that i had is what i i had this idea of what if a small town in the middle of virginia one night just woke up and everybody had powers every citizen within mm. x amount of blocks square blocks had a superpower and so the idea behind it was every player would have their own special thing and they could create their character however they wanted to um but they would be waking up day one with superpowers and i basically told them your superpowers are going to be completely and utterly you know just off the chain this is not going to be oh i'm a level one superpower like no like you wake up tomorrow with the power of batman at full strength batman you're not starting out with i'm learning kung fu like you're 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 at your peak power um and i was like and you're going to see the fallout from that and so one of the things i did is i actually found a town with a very small population and i basically printed up maps and i actually looked up what every store in this little tiny town was and i found out who owned it and so i named all the npcs after the people who actually owned it and stuff and what was funny is that the players were like i actually googled this town it's real i was like oh yeah and they're like i googled the guy that owns that place and he actually owns that bakery i was like oh yeah and they're like why did you do this and i was like i wanted you guys to feel like you were actually part of this world so like they were like this is crazy and so what basically happens is that there's this big epic battle 
that happens above their little town. And the fallout from that battle kind of gives them all their powers. And they then have to basically figure out the puzzle of why do we have these gifts? And so th there's just interesting moments of a guy who's constantly on fire, but he feels it, you know, but like he's the human torch, but he feels that he's on fire. How do you stop that from happening? How do you stop that from hurting you? There's a person who has super speed. Um, and I was like, yeah, but the problem is, is that they can't stop being at super speed. And before they realize it, they run smack into a brick wall. Well, guess what? They're dead. So there are all these things that are happening around them. And then they realize, oh, crap, what's my power? And then they realize what I've done. And they're like, OK, I got to be real careful. So they like they have these epic abilities. But if I turn it on, can I turn it off? And so that's the story. And they, they have to figure out how can they control this. And so that's what, what, what it was. And ultimately, the idea was, and we came back, we played it a little bit later. We did a prequel because they find out there's a time travel element to it. They're basically closing a loop and that they're the ones who give themselves their own powers, um, at least the ones who survive. And so they have to go back in time at a certain point. Um, and the idea behind it is that essentially it's, this, it, it's the, the beginning of a new version of the world and that the, the, these people, the, these proud Americans are going to be the ones who will change the world for good or for bad. And they have to decide how they're going to do it. And it was all role playing. It was all them deciding, are we going to turn the world into a utopia? Or are we going to turn it into an autocratic fascist state? And uh, that was something that, unfortunately, we never found out. Um, they never got to find out if they were going to become the good guys or the bad guys. They found out they, they, they found out how their powers started. They found out where their powers came from, but they never found out who they were in the future. And the way I built the story, they were the ones who were going to ultimately decide. And I always regret the fact that I never got to finish off that trilogy of storytelling. Um, but it was a really cool idea. And I love doing stuff like that. It was all self-built. It was all rules that were just kind of, the rules were there to facilitate the story. And I loved doing that. And it was the second closest thing that I, that, that we did to that beach trip where I was just like, okay, we're taking the wheels off. Um, and I remember, I think somebody actually drove through Virginia and they specifically went to that town. I think it was Bill. <laughs> and they actually went there and they said it was freaky because they knew where everything was at. So like they were just driving through. And I mean, when I say it's a small town, I mean, like it's like maybe a three street town, you know, it's just like a bunch of like little like houses. So like we're talking a very small town and, and they were like, it's exactly how you described it. It's exactly like the maps. And they're like, that was weird. And like they went to the bakery and they got like, you know, like, you know, like a like a muffin or something. And they were just like, it's so weird because that guy blew up because of blah, blah, blah. They're, <laughs> so it was just like I, 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 I thought I thought that to be very much. Uh, uh, an interesting verisimilitude moment um all theater of the mind but yeah so anyways that was just one that i was just thinking of sorry <laughs> yeah so i mean there's a lot of ways to immerse people and there's a lot of ways to like yeah. engage people and yeah like gaming that's that's why we do it is because of these experiences that we have from it and the things that sort of transcend out of you know the gaming experience into our real lives and you know the fun that lets us have the feelings that it gives us and sort of the stories that we can then tell to other people so um so yeah I, one thing i'm gonna say just before we head out we're gonna say our goodbyes is if you want to see this done my my suggestion everybody can give a suggestion that they want to if you don't you don't have to there uh is um zombie orpheus entertainment um, or Dead Gentleman Productions. I can't remember. They merged, and now I don't remember which name they use anymore, but it's one of those two. Um, I think it's Zoe. I think Zoe, is Zombie it, Orpheus. Is it Zombie is Orpheus? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, but anyway, 
they created this series called The Gamers. And The Gamers series is fantastic. There are three movies. They started a series before COVID. I hope they pick it back up. They did an episode zero, episode one, hoping that we get to see episode two. But either way, you can see the movies. And they're basically stories that show what's happening within the gaming world and also what's happening at the table. And they sort of alternate back and forth between that. They, they show the different tropes. They show the different fun things that the, that the characters experience. I highly recommend them. They are hilarious. If you've never played a game, it'll show you like some of the stuff that happens. You had played a game, you'll be like, oh God, like I know exactly what that is. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. So I, I definitely recommend people check those out. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're available Nathan, on YouTube. And you know, Nathan, actually, there's something funny about that is that everything that Zoe and Dead Gentlemen have done, they all interconnect. Yes. So I wasn't going to bring it because, yeah, they've done other yeah. things like Natural One and uh, Humans and Households. Quest. Humans and Households is fantasy characters playing a game in our world. And so right. sort of like the, the fun of like seeing them like be like, I, I hack it. And they're like, that's not how hacking works. You know? Right. So, like, I want to <laughs> hack the door. You I'm can't hack, hack the, the door. door. Yeah. <laughs> You can't hack the door, but I got a computer, but it's wood. You can't hack the door. Yeah. You know, the, so, yeah. Yes, but, but Journey no, everything Quest is do. one that doesn't go back and forth between the game world. It's it's totally focused in the game world, but it does interconnect with the yeah. world that they've created in the game world. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, but all right. So we're going to say our goodbyes now. <laughs> I know this got, went long, but at least we finished. We finished. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm impressed. I didn't think we could do it. <laughs> thank you everybody uh but uh but yeah so let's say goodbyes let people know where they can find you and uh let's start with you mark okay uh quick plug ola uh so north texas apocalypse bunker.com uh will be up and running uh i have a patreon page that i'm building that's uh all my uh D fifth edition stuff if you want to follow what i'm doing there uh you can uh, also, Substack is where the free newsletter is, and if you want to subscribe, you can get inside stuff on the on the podcast. Um, the uh, at the five dollar level, you also become a member of the Bunker Essential Support Team, or the best. And everybody who joins is my bestie. See what I did there? Uh. So, anyways, you can do all of that. That's fine. I'm gonna the the plug is for this. I wrote a trilogy, the Condorks trilogy, uh, that deals is heavily with gamers and geeks who are doing stuff. And the first two are very game centric and have a lot of things from my own uh, life in them. Uh, the Transformation of Lawrence Croft uh, is about, a, among other things, one of the gamers uh, who um, is possessed by the Roman god of manure, Stercutus. And uh, he wreaks havoc at a convention. And in the sequel, chance of a lifetime the the group of four decide to do the thing that they've never really done which is actually go on an adventure to steal pornographic modules uh from a company that is moving its headquarters uh from uh one part of the country to the other and so it becomes a, a, a it starts out as an indiana jones kind of a thing and turns into a heist uh and uh, all of that is laden with uh with game humor inside jokes and all that uh wonderful stuff um i i think they're brilliant uh and i'm not just saying that because i wrote them 
but I kind of am. So anyways, if you want to check those out, uh, you can. They're available on the Amazon and uh, they're also available as uh, eBooks and Kindles. So uh, check them out if you want to. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Sorry it ran long. <laughs> All right, Sean, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Sure. You can find me pretty much uh, at most social media uh, at Numa Z. That's P-N-E-U-M-A-Z. Uh, I also run a business with my wife called Pop Cycle Bobbles. And uh, you can find us at local conventions whenever we decide to show up. We do only a couple a year, uh, maybe about three or four, but you can find us at facebook.com popcycled. And uh, if you get a chance to see us and buy some of our wares, fantastic. And uh, of course, you can find me on fine podcasts like this, uh, where I will just kind of show up and randomly talk about my friends as they decide to murder each other because I make moral quandaries fun, I guess. My bad. You, you make consequence fun. Let's, let's I do. Let's I make consequence. consequences fun. That, yes. that should be that should be on my tombstone, right? Sean, <laughs> he made consequences fun. And thanks for having me, guys. And uh, uh, um, yeah, uh, bye. It's always great to have you on, Sean. And Kimmy, you've got the last word. Let people know where they can find you and say your goodbyes. Hey, uh, so I'm Kimmy. You can find me at Golden Lasso Girl on social media. Um, you can also, if you want to see me talking about games, I have about 10 years of weekly advice shows on at happyjacks.org. Um, and we also have a ton of actual plays like I think there's like 40 or 45 different campaigns already listed in all kinds of different systems. So if you want to see like what real gaming looks like, um, it's not like super high tech produced like Critical Role or something, but we've got cameras. We've also got podcast versions. Um, if you want to see how a certain system is played, that's a great resource. Go check it out and see us playing some games, um, the good, the bad and the ugly. So we have fantastic GMs and storytellers and DMs, all different systems, but like we're, we're a group of friends. So there's a lot of us, we are in LA. So we are performers, a lot of us too. So we we're good, we're good quality. We're not like your average, like group in someone's living room. Um, but it's a great place to start. If you're starting to be curious about a system or you want to see some techniques or some of the stuff that I talked about here. And then again, that's happyjacks.org. Um, I also have a gaming company where I might make my own games and you can check that out at goldenlassogames.com. I have a beta right now going for a game called Starscape that is basically like crews trusting each other in space, really good for things like Firefly, Babylon 5, um, Farscape, really good for, for games if you are interested in that. And if you want to sign up and play that beta and give me feedback, that would be amazing. And I think that's everything. Yes, I'm glad to be here and it was super fun. All right. And Sean, Mark, and Kimmy, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thank you. Always. Thank you. And that's it for our very last role models. We hope that you enjoyed it and you can let us know in a variety of ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another is to go to our website at 42cast.com. Another is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. Or you can tweet to us at 42cast or go on our Instagram at 42cast and leave us feedback there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts, the more reviews we get, the more that they promote the show in searches. So we definitely appreciate it when you do that. I also want to let you know about the ESO Network Patreon. You can go there by going to patreon.com slash ESO Network. You can look at the different tiers for the different amounts of donations. And depending on what you get for those tiers, if you have a little bit of money to spare, we would appreciate it because it helps keep all the shows on the network on air. I also want to let you know about the two other podcasts where you can find me. One is Time Streams, where my friend Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. 
you don't need to buy the episodes. I know how hard that is, especially in America, to find classic Who episodes. Although you can subscribe to BritBox if you want to watch along with us, or if you can find the DVDs, purchase the DVDs. You'll definitely get more out of it that way, but we make sure to explain everything about the stories as we go through it. So if you just want to hear our banter and learn a little bit more about Doctor Who, then you can do that as well. The other show is Legendary Forces, where Juliet and I, but also joined by Ashley, Corey, and Joe, are going through all of Star Wars media from the beginning. That's all the media that takes place within the Star Wars universe, not things like magazines that report on the show, or fanzines, or stuff like that, or documentary shows that came out. Because those started back in 1977, so I mean, there's plenty of that material too, but we don't review any of that. We review all the stuff that happens in the Star Wars universe. We talk about how good the thing that we're reviewing is, whether it's a novel, comic, movie, TV special, whatever. And then we also talk about the evolving idea of Star Wars, the canon, the continuity, and how that changes over time. So if that sounds interesting to you, then definitely check us out. In con news, I have pretty much decided that I am going to attend Fan Expo Chicago this year. It beat out C2E2 just because the guests at C2E2 do not look anywhere near as good as the guests at Fan Expo. A lot of Star Trek The Next Generation guests, Lord of the Rings guests, uh, Stargirl, Breck Bassinger is going to be there, people from The Mandalorian. Like, there's a lot of really high-profile guests that I'd like to see, whereas C2E2, at least so far, hasn't really announced anyone that I'm really interested in seeing, so... Check that out. I'll let you guys all know how that show is. I wasn't a big fan of Wizard World, but I don't know how things are going to change now that it's Fan Expo. So uh, definitely keep you posted on that. And of course, at the end of the year, I'll definitely be at Chicago TARDIS again, because that is my home con. So I'm always going to be there. But yeah, that's all that I have for this week. Join us back next week when Adrian Palicki will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast, copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.